When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ernie and Sid in the morning on the Red Apple Podcast Network. The friendship which links us to our great ally, the United States of America, is a powerful element in the defense of peace. Throughout the coming session, my government will continue to give resolute support to the work of the United Nations. The improvement of relations between East and West remains a primary object of their policy. My lords and members of the House of Commons, I pray that the blessing of Almighty God may rest upon your counsels. I can hear you! I can hear you, the rest of the world hears you, and the people... And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. Those are the two major themes of today's Bernie and Sid in the Morning Show, the number one rated Nielsen News Talk Show mornings in New York City, the self-proclaimed best talk show anywhere in the country. We are Bernie and Sid in the Morning. And uh, you heard there from the Queen that was all the way back in like 1960, quite some time ago, going back about 60 years ago. And of course, as I predicted late yesterday morning on this show, Queen Elizabeth did, in fact, pass away yesterday, and the world mourns today. And then, of course, you heard from President Bush standing on top of the wreckage uh, right there at the World Trade Center, 9-11. Sunday, we commemorate 21 years since the most tragic day in the history of the country. So today, with a bevy of huge guests, Rob Shooter, he's on this morning with Today's Show, Good Morning America, you name it, CNN, all of them. He will cover the death of Queen Elizabeth, fitting us in, which is very, very nice. And then the 9-11 day, today we'll talk to George Pataki. He was the governor back then. Rudy Giuliani, the great mayor back then. Peter King, and maybe Bernie Kerrick as well. So a huge, huge Bernie and Sid show coming your way. Once again, covering the two major stories, the death of Queen Elizabeth and uh, 9-11 coming up on Sunday. Queen Elizabeth, 96 years old. She 
excuse me, she served for uh, over 70 years, 15 prime ministers, uh, all the wars around the world. She saw it all. And, you know, uh, me and Bernie, we are not big on the royals. Never have been, never will be. They're a bunch of, uh, how do I say this nicely, crooked teeth, hairy underarmed perverts is what they are. <laughs> that is the royal family. We can't stand them. Don't care about Prince William getting married. Don't care about Prince Harry and his obnoxious wife, Meghan Markle. Certainly don't care about Prince Charles, now soon to be the king today. We like Queen Elizabeth. Like, how could you not like Queen Elizabeth? Nothing not to like about her. Just a classy, nice lady. Had to deal with a lot of garbage from her late husband, Philip. Certainly her kids have not done great by her. And uh, here she was all these years, just a picture of elegance despite all that. So the royal family is really nonsense. Listen, I've been to London many, many times. My daughter Ava's going to college in Wales, not too far from London. She uh, She's in London all the time. She loves it there. But uh, the truth is they do nothing. They do nothing. They live in a big palace. They have plenty and plenty of money. Uh, I guess at this point they're reduced to just a tourist uh, place. But... Um, they're still beloved by many, by many, and everybody loves Queen Elizabeth. Everybody. You know who loves Queen Elizabeth? I mean, loves her. Donald Trump. Believe it or not, Queen Elizabeth and Donald Trump had a great, great relationship. I mean, great. If you don't believe me, listen to her. This is uh, Queen Elizabeth number four welcoming Donald Trump to Buckingham Palace and then making a toast on behalf of Donald Trump. Queen Elizabeth four, and then Lewis, Queen Elizabeth five. Mr. President, I'm delighted to welcome you and Mrs. Trump to Buckingham Palace this evening, just 12 months after our first meeting at Windsor. Visits by American presidents always remind us of the close and long-standing friendship between the United Kingdom and the United States. And I'm so glad that we have another opportunity to demonstrate the immense importance that both our countries attach to our relationship. How about that? Ladies and gentlemen, I invite you all to rise and drink a toast to President and Mrs. Trump, to the continued friendship between our two nations, and to the health, prosperity, and happiness of the people of the United States. How about that? Queen Elizabeth toasting to Donald Trump and his wife, welcoming President Trump to Buckingham Palace and talking about the special relationship between the monarchy and President Trump. How cool was that? Did you know that? She actually liked him that much? You didn't know that, Lewis, did you? One of the greatest queens you ever <laughs> see. Great hats. <laughs> Spectacular. Oh, come on. Come on. Come on. She come loved on. him. I've... She loved Trump. Well, That's fantastic. No. I, it's it's fantastic. She didn't yes. love. She didn't talk about Joe Biden. This imbecile. No, Biden actually <laughs> spoke yesterday on behalf of the uh, the quite, Queen. Quite stupid he is. Yes, <laughs> yes. quite befuddling to me all. Here is uh, Joe Biden, number seven, our current president, talking about the death of Queen Elizabeth. I just stopped by the British Embassy to sign the condolence book in her honor. God, I had the opportunity to meet her before she passed, and right. she's an incredibly gracious. Oh, and she died. Woman. <laughs> the thoughts and prayers of the American people 
are with the people of the United Kingdom and yeah. the Commonwealth and their grief. Yeah. Biden stopped by. She's like, okay, I'm ready to die now. Take me. God, take me. She died right after Joe Biden stopped by. So, well, thank you, Joe. Where's that book, Jack? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He killed the queen, Joe Biden. She loved Donald Trump, toasted to him. And this moron stopped by to say hello as she was dying. Yeah. So, uh, then Corrine Jean-Pierre. This other Mensa, the speaker, of course, for Joe Biden, she talked about the passing of the Queen. This is very emotional, folks. Take a listen to this. Our hearts and our thoughts uh, go to uh, Who's that? Uh, the family members oh. uh, of the Queen. <laughs> <I> just, um, <laughs> goes to huh? the people of the United Kingdom. Oh, okay. Um, I don't want to get ahead of uh, what the president uh, is going to say. I want him yeah. to, uh, from you all, to hear uh, from him first. And so I don't want to get ahead of that. No. Okay. Um, but um, and I said this earlier, yeah. our relationship uh, with the people of the United Kingdom, uh, and this is something that the president has said himself, <laughs> you believe this? has grown uh, stronger and stronger. Um, and uh, it is one of our the United Kingdom is one of our closest allies. And uh, again, our hearts go uh, yeah. to the people of the United Kingdom, to the Queen. And to um, to her family, uh, I'm she's just still going. By the way, get ahead of the president. She's got to be the dumbest bastard ever. This lady, my God, Corinne Jean Pierre. That was homework. Was oh, not emotional. That was yeah. That really, was lovely. I'm going to write that Very down nice. for my next card. So Liz Truss, if you don't know, Liz Truss is the new prime minister of the UK, taking over from my friend Boris Johnson. And of course, Liz Truss, only about three days in that job, and the Queen dies. She spoke about Queen Elizabeth. This is cut number nine. The death of Her Majesty the Queen is a huge shock to the nation and to the world. Queen Elizabeth II was the rock on which modern Britain was built. Our country has grown and flourished under her reign. Britain is the great country it is today because of her. Through thick and thin, Queen Elizabeth II provided us with the stability and the strength that we needed. She was the very spirit of Great Britain, and that spirit will endure. So our dupe's son, this, uh, this Charles, you know, this big-eared bastard, who probably killed his ex-wife, Princess <laughs> Diana. I, I don't know. I don't need proof of that, but I, I'm going to go with it. So, um, you know, he's now going to be the king, King Charles. And uh, here's Liz Truss talking about how it's time now to pass on the crown to doofy King Chuck. Today, the crown passes as it has done for more than a thousand years, to our new monarch, our new head of state, His Majesty, (laughs) King Charles III. With the King's family, we mourn the loss of his mother. And as we mourn, we must come together as a people to support him, to help him bear the awesome responsibility that he now carries for us all. We offer him our loyalty and devotion just as his mother devoted so much to so many for so long. And with the passing of the second Elizabethan age, we usher in a new era in the magnificent history of our great country, exactly as Her Majesty would have wished, by saying the words, God save the King. (laughs) <laughs> Stop. These people take themselves so seriously, you can't make it up. Oh, no, it's, 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 it's with great significance and utter establishment oh, of the entire royal family. So what uh, King Charles will address the people in England today for the first time as a real monarch. Today. He's king today. 
And uh, she'll be laid to rest, Queen Elizabeth, next to her husband, Prince Philip. But believe it or not, Prince Harry was actually late to say goodbye to Queen Elizabeth. She was already dead. (laughs) (laughs) He fought with Meghan Markle, and his grandmother was already dead. Now, uh, King Charles did consider dropping the jinxed name because he'd be King Charles III, and I guess the first two didn't do so well. So he considered dropping the name. And according to Rob Shooter, King Charles has a big decision to make about Harry and Meghan's kids. Plus, Prince William and Kate Middleton will have new titles in England. I mean, this is Please. this is one big Netflix TV show, which means nothing in the real world. I mean, nothing. But again, she was a nice lady, elegant, served her country well for the better part of seven decades, deserve all the love and the attention. But the rest of them? Perverts, filthy, disgusting, godforsaken people. Good luck to all of them. How about that? Well, we are as God made us, and God has established us as very drunken perverts. <laughs> that is all we have said. We take it back, Well, please. thank you. Yes. Uh, Senator Chuck Schumer, for some reason, he thinks that people are interested in what he thinks oh, about the Queen. On. I swear to God. <laughs> Chuck Schumer, here in New York, this uh, idiot, he also talked about the Queen's death. Here he is, Senator Chuck. She didn't just witness the great turns of history. She helped shape them over the seven decades, seven decades of her reign. And every step of the way, she was precisely the kind of leader the moment demanded. In times of hardship, she was both strong and comforting. In times of joy, she was gracious and dignified. She was a rock, the living embodiment of the virtues that lie at the core of the nation She's so proudly led. I mean, if there's a God, Joe Pinion is going to beat Chuck Schumer worse than the Buffalo Bills beat the Rams last night. I mean, really <laughs> handily. If there's a God, Joe Pinion is going to beat Chuck Schumer. Not just Chuck Schumer, but another enemy of the Republicans. And he is a Republican. The majority House leader, Mitch McConnell, he also spoke yesterday on the Queen's death. The Queen is an exemplar of steady leadership and a beloved figure around the world. She's been a historic friend of the United States. The decades of her reign have seen a profound deepening of the special relationship between our two countries that has literally changed the world. All right, so there it is. She's dead. And uh, Rob Schroeder's coming on at 8, and there's your coverage. Uh, Get out. That's it. That is quite lovely, Sydney. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. No, I feel bad. Come on. She's a nice lady. You know, come on. She was a classy chick, you know. What? What? (laughs) You won't get that assessment anymore. No, you know, Pierce Morgan is not going to give you that. Uh, What did you say again, Sid? I got to watch, like, Savannah Guthrie cry today and and Martha McCallum cry today. And I don't get that. Again, nice lady, did some nice things. But why do Americans get all upset about these? You know what it is? It's not Republicans. I was on last night for two segments with Mark Levin, two of them. It was amazing. The great one himself, Mark Levin, he never once brought up Queen Elizabeth. He's too worried about what's going on here. That's what we do. These liberals, all they care about is, you know, how the gays are doing, how the blacks are doing, how the English are doing. They don't care about us. They make America like 90th. So when you see people crying in the streets, it's almost never a Republican. Almost never. you liberals. Yes. These people are nuts. I mean, crying? Come on. And it's going to happen in huge numbers. 
When is uh, the funeral? What day is it on TV, Prince? Uh, Prince. Phil. <laughs> Phil from Macedonia. When is the um, actual funeral? Do you know? Any info on this? You think I got like an invitation or something? I, I have no, I have idea. no idea. You're I a very, very uh, powerful man. I don't know. Um, no, I'm like you. I could actually care less about this. this is right. so no, you couldn't care less. If you cared less, you would actually care. Oh, yes. You would have cared. Yeah. Yeah. Double, double negative. What are we to do with the youngins of the day? It's craziness. <laughs> We'd send that invitation to Macedonia <laughs> right away. It's would you go? If you got an invitation, would you even go? Uh, I don't I want I don't to answer that so. question. Yeah. I, don't I would, I would say right. very negative. Things. we got a big guest list today. <laughs> <laughs> now speaking will be Philip of Macedonia. He has some quaint words on the Queen. I'm going to say very good things. Yeah. Philip, uh, now you're done now. Thank, uh, thank you, Phil. Uh, Gary Myers will stop by today. Great football writer on New York Daily News. Jets and Giants open up on Sunday. And memories of 9-11, that football weekend back uh, 21 years ago. He'll be here at 7. Joseph Aboud coming up live in studio with his 9-11 memories. He almost got arrested, by the way. He'll tell you the whole story. He's coming up at 7.25. 8.05, Rob Shooter on the death of Queen Elizabeth. Coming up at 8.40, uh, the great George Pataki. Coming up at 7.40, the great Rudy Giuliani. And coming up. At 9.25, the great Peter King, a monster Friday edition of Bernie and Sid, only right here on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Springsteen, born in the USA. Keep it right here, folks. accident. Trust Gabo Law, personal injury and medical malpractice attorneys with decades of experience who will provide the attention you deserve and deliver the best possible results in the shortest amount of time. Gabo Law has recovered millions for their clients and they will be able to help you, but don't take our word for it. Read their five-star reviews from former clients on Google, Avo, and Facebook. Call Gabo Law today, 800-560-0214 for a free consultation or email them at info at gabolaw.com. That's G-A-B-O-Law.com. Gabo Law, where winning is no accident. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. Folks, it's a day that changed all of our lives forever. And New York's News Talk leader will never forget 
77 WABC joins the Tunnel to Towers Foundation for special days of tribute today, September the 9th, and Sunday, September the 11th. Tunnel to Towers Foundation, 9-11 Remembrance, remembering 9-11, 21 years later, right here on Talk Radio 77 WABC. So uh, last night I made my way as my book tour continues and Citizens United continues to climb the charts, doing very well on Amazon. Buy it today if you haven't bought it. If you have bought it, thank you. So I went to um, the most legendary bookstore in New Jersey and one of the real treasures on the East Coast called Bookends in lovely Ridgewood, New Jersey. And uh, Pete Morgan lives there. He showed up. He brought me a sandwich, brought me pizza, (laughs) brought me water, iced tea. He's the best. And uh, ended up meeting a lot of folks that I talked to on social media. I've never met before. People like Michelle Karekis, people like um, uh, Lori, the uh, real estate girl. She's adorable. And then folks I did know, like Tom Sloan and Mary. It was a great event. Steve from Riverdale, FAN caller years ago. It was a great event. Bookends did a tremendous job. They really did. And the folks were so nice. So thank you last night. Uh, of course, uh, Keith Smolin, great guy. He was there, too. And then afterwards, I did a two-segment interview with Mark Levin that went great. What an honor. What a thrill to be on with Mark Levin. He was so complimentary, so complimentary. I'm going to play some of that coming up next segment. But um, I was on a couple days ago on Fox & Friends. That was a big spot, very big. And it wasn't with all three of them. It was just me and Kilmeade. And I love Brian Kilmeade. Does a great job at this station, 10 o'clock every day. We're actually good friends, me and Brian. So he um, he interviewed me one-on-one talking about the book. And so I guess he's on with Frank Morano once a week. And Morano brought me up in a conversation last night with Brian Kilmeade. And it sounded something like this. Lewis, Brian Kilmeade, number 16. Uh, speaking of sports, uh, very few people know the world of sports better than Sid Rosenberg. You just have to ask him. And uh, I noticed you did a very, uh, very, very tough, hard-hitting interview with Sid Rosenberg talking about his new book. Now, uh, what is the greatest challenge in interviewing someone like Sid Rosenberg? Um, his charisma, getting over the charisma and just getting to the questions. I mean, he just radiates presence. Uh, I would think that his talent it oozes out, and sometimes it can overwhelm you, and they'll end up wow. going to a monologue, and you won't interrupt him with a follow-up question. Uh, no, he he comes to play. He, the book is uh, the book is direct. It's right to the point. Um, it's self-deprecating at times. It's to the point. It's he, also he short, which I like because I don't have a lot of time to get through. Right. Yeah. I mean, you'll <laughs> read it. You'll read it in a day. But by the way, Sid's book all over the place last night. Oh no, absolutely. Yeah. No, and a great response from people uh, who've read it. And I've read it, and I find it very entertaining. So it's uh, it's certainly. Do you think there should have been more about you, Frank? Yeah, you know, I think you and I are on the same page in the book, which is page 28, which uh, basically there's the the sum sum total of what's on there is, oh, it's great to be on such a great station with Brian Kilmeade, Dominic Carter, Frank Morano, Lydia Serrani, and Curtis Lewa. So it was great to be listed with you, Brian. It's you know, it was, that, was, that was like the editor probably said, hey, hey Sid, it's 500 pages. Let's shorten the Frank and Brian section. I mean, he could have put another line in there. Uh, just like, and by the way, when it comes to Frank, cut to see his smiling face every day when I walk into work. Exactly, right. It w- wouldn't have hurt. Exactly.
There you have it, Frank Morano and Brian Kilmeade last night on uh, Morano's show. That was good. A little back and forth. No, Lou? Yes, it was good. Yeah. It was, well, I'm it was dying nice. today, by the way. Am I going to make this? You're going to make it. You sure? You're, you're hopped up, I can see. <laughs> I am hopped up, but yeah. my uh, my voice isn't cooperating. Is it bad, bad, or just bad? It's nationwide bad. That's <laughs> basically, it's fine. It's great. I was so worried last night about Levin. I'm like, oh, my God, i got to sound good on Levin. It's a big deal. And he's it a, sounded good. He's intimidating. I know. He could be. He's like one yes. of the all-time greats. Yeah, when you're going to see, like, the principal or something. Right, right. It was a big That's deal. A, and I but, sit uh, down a second. <laughs> Hold on. What is this? Chapter 4. He did that. He actually uh, started quoting verse. Each chapter, the name of the chapter, the specifics inside the chapter. I mean, he really read the book. It was very, very um, humbling. Very humbling. And he was great. I'm going to play some of it next segment. But Mark Levin was great. Kilmeade and Murano, great. And uh, all these guests today are going to be great. The show is going to be wall-to-wall coverage of the death of Queen Elizabeth and, of course, 9-11. It all starts today. Frank Siller couldn't make it on today, Mr. Tunnel to Towers. He actually did his TV hit right before me at Fox News a couple days ago. But he's a great guy. We love Frank Siller. And, of course, his brother, Stephen Siller, passed away 9-11. So we, um, we love him. We love Tunnel to Towers. And, of course, this show and all day long, all day, WABC brought to you by the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. Nobody does a better job on 9-11 then Frank Siller and Tunnel to Towers. So thank you, Frank. What is the uh, the clip of the day today? I don't have it. You have uh, that? Cl- I, I do have the clip of the day. What is that today, my friend? Uh, 77 WABC is celebrating 100 years. Coming tomorrow at 4 p.m., hear the critically acclaimed radio documentary series again. Oh. We highlight WABC Homemade as it happened on WABC and Harry Harrison. Oh, my God. First... We'll listen to here's Cousin Brucey talking about John Lennon's death as it happened. I I lost my breath. I mean, I, I was, I got spinning. And <laughs> in five or ten minutes, I quickly found out what was going on. That night, this uh, needless disgrace happened over the Dakota in New York City. And, of course, then the phone started ringing. I will never forget that because it was like, I said, 5.30 in the morning, I found out what happened to John Lennon. What a sad day. This is Sid on Sports. Sponsored by Peerless Boilers on 77 WABC. Well, it's not Sydney. Justin Ellick here with your bottom of the hour sports update. Again, sponsored by Peerless Boilers Pavilion Tankless Water Heaters. Go to peerlessboilers.com, paviliontankless.com for a dealer near you. They are America's best built boilers. Football is back and all is once again right in the world. What a showing last night out of Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills as this year's betting favorites to win the Super Bowl marched into California and demolished last year's champ in the Los Angeles Rams. A ton of pressure on Buffalo to live up to the hype this season, and they did just that in week one, grabbing a 31-10 win at SoFi Stadium despite the contest being knotted at 10 come halftime. Josh Allen went for 297 and four touchdowns through the air, and the Buffalo defense registered seven sacks on Rams QB Matthew Stafford and route to the win. Look out for both the Giants and Jets to open up their seasons come Sunday afternoon. The Jets will welcome in the Baltimore Ravens as seven-point dogs at 1 p.m. Eastern, and the G-Men open up as five-and-a-half-point underdogs in Tennessee against the Titans at 425 p.m. Out to the Diamond now where the Yankees suffered a crushing 
Pacific Series finale loss to the Minnesota Twins by a score of 4-3. to Despite the offense continuing to sputter, the Yanks had gone into yesterday's contest toting a four-game winning streak, though still unable to pick up any ground on a still-surging ALE second-place raised team. That fact sunk in extra deep last night as the Bombers lost, shrunk New York as the Bomber loss, excuse me, shrunk New York's divisional cushion by a half game, given Tampa Bay's night off. Here was manager Aaron Boone following the nail-biting loss. Yeah, I mean, you know, we still had our chances. Yeah, true. So, you know. Yeah. Spit it out. Spit it out. Yeah, it just came up a little bit short. Yep, yep, a little bit short. It is. All right. With the lead now sitting at just four and a half games, the Yankees will open up a gargantuan three-game set with the aforementioned Rays in the Bronx tonight. It will be Frankie Montas getting the nod for 7.05 p.m. first pitch against Tampa's Drew Rasmussen. As for the Mets, they were off last night, but open up their weekend series against the Marlins in Miami tonight at 6.40 p.m. Eastern. They have yet to name a starter to go up against Miami's Edward Cabrera. For more sports content, follow 77 WABC Sports on Instagram. Grant Man Twitter. Here with your bottom of the hour sports update. I am Justin Ellick on 77 WABC. I want to rock! Bernie and Sid in the morning on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Gary Myers, Joseph Aboud, and Governor Pataki. Big 8 o'clock hour coming up, which includes Rob Shooter, Lydia Serrani, and Rudy Giuliani, and then Peter King in the 9 o'clock hour. So it's a huge show. So I did mention uh, last night, I had a book signing at Bookends in Wedgwood, New Jersey, and the folks that showed up loved me and Bernie. A lot of talking about Bernie last night, too, by the way. Everybody loves and misses you, Bernie. And the the folks were great. Again, Michelle and Mary and uh, Scott and his son Adam and Keith and, um, I mean, if I'm forgetting people, Tom Sloan just, and Barbara, who was great last night, and Michelle, who was great. It was a really great time. And I stayed in the parking lot. Folks, this is 8 o'clock last night. I've been up since 3 o'clock in the morning. Did this show, ran around... 8.20 last night, I'm still in the parking lot waiting to do the Mark Levin show. And Levin is as big as it gets. I'm sorry. Does not get bigger. Bill O'Reilly, huge. I guess Sean Hannity, folks like that. But Mark Levin is the very, very top of the food chain. And I was really humbled that he wanted to bring me on to talk about my book and, of, and other issues. News of the day. New York City. The country. And he ended up keeping me on for two segments. That is a very big deal. Very big deal that Mark Levin enjoyed it so much, he kept me on for two segments. So let me play, just in case you missed it, most of you did, let me play some of this stuff from Mark Levin last night. What is uh, the first cut, Lewis? What is that title, first cut? Mark Levin. With Sid Rosenberg, 
on his radio show. Right. Calls Sid the quintessential New Yorker. I love this. Sid talks about Trump, Zeldin, and Adams. Let's play that. This is once again courtesy of Mark Levin, played all over the country, right here on Talk Radio 77 WABC, 6 p.m. every night after the great John Katsimatidis. This is me on Mark Levin last night. The book is Citizens United, S-I-D for Sid, I-Z-E-N-S, United. You can get it at Amazon.com, any major bookstore, but you can jump on Amazon now and grab it. It's also on all my platforms, Twitter and all the rest of it. And as you can tell, Sid Rosenberg is quintessential New York. And Sid, you really are. The way you grew up, the neighborhood you grew up in, who you grew up with, what happened in your life. You had all these obstacles. You had all these issues. You mentioned a few of them. You overcame them. Now you have a wife and two kids and and you're leading the life you live on radio, and, and people really enjoy hearing you and being around you. It's quintessential New York, and, of course, you have the New York accent. And um, what do you say to people outside New York about what's going on inside New York? Well, if I'm going to be honest, Mark, it's scary. I mean, thank you for the nice things you just said. I am quintessential in New York. I'm a Brooklyn boy. I left for 16 years. I went to Boca Raton, Florida. I'm the only guy that came back north when yeah, I was 15 exactly. years old because I am a New Yorker. So I, um, I told him the truth. You know, look, it seemed impossible, Mark, that we'd have a worse mayor than Bill de Blasio. Bill de Blasio was, this is, was the worst mayor in the history of politics. And believe it or not, we've got a guy now, he dresses very nicely, he says all the right things, he finds a way to appease both Democrats and Republicans, which makes him, in my opinion, even worse than de Blasio, and that's Eric Adams. Crime is skyrocketing. He's doing nothing about it. When he's asked to use some of Giuliani's tactics, he says, no, 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 that was racist. I want a David Dinkins city. David Dinkins, are you high? Well, the answer is yes. David Dinkins, the city was a mess. So we've got a mayor who's completely inept, by the way, and a governor, believe it or not, and Kathy Hochul, who's more corrupt and dumber than Andrew Cuomo. So only hope is, Mark, that people vote Lee Zeldin, Republican, come November. If you vote Lee Zeldin in 2022, you're going to save New York. If you vote Donald Trump in 2024, you're going to save our country. If you don't, don't bitch and complain because the same issues we've got now, crime, filth, homeless, taxes, they're just going to get worse. They're not going to go away. So vote Zeldin in 22. Vote Trump in 24 and save our country and save our state. So then uh, Mark Levin goes on to ask me about the future of radio. So many people for years, oh, AM radio's dead. I mean, you couldn't be further from the truth. I, I mean, thanks to uh, John Katsimatidis, Margot Katsimatidis, Chad Lopez. I'm a major superstar, <laughs> to be honest with you. And it's AM radio. We're not going anywhere. We're number one. We contend with other stations that have AM and FM signals, and guess what? We still kick their ass. Here's Mark Levine and me talking about the future of radio. These problems are man-made because we know what a good city looks like. We know how good cities run. New York was a good city, clean city, was a safe city, probably one of the safest cities in America. It was a thriving, vigorous city, so the Democrats took hold of it by the throat. And it's not just Democrats. These are radical, hardcore, CRT, ultra-left Democrats. I know you're at WABC. How do you see the future of radio, generally? 
I think now it's going to really do well in the mornings, for example, right? So we're beating Boomer Esiason, who for folks that don't know is a big-time NFL quarterback, big sports guy. He's a WFAN, and that station has done really well for years. Guess what? We're beating him. You know why, Mark? Because, yeah, the Mets are fun. Yeah, the Giants are fun. Yeah, the Jets are fun. But no one's going to live or die. We're at the point right now, I don't want to be overdramatic, but I'm being honest, in this state, in this country, what me and Bernie talk about is what really matters. Now, look, I do my fair share of sports every morning. I cover pop culture. I'll talk about TV and movies. I'm a well-rounded guy like you are. But the truth is, if you want the truth about this city, about this state, about this country, what direction we're heading, you got to listen to us. Because we're going to talk to people like Mark Levin and Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump, quite frankly. So, at the end of the day, radio is going to thrive. It becomes more important, especially a city like ours, one of the very few places, if not the only radio place, to get the absolute truth. Everyone else, as you know, they're lying. On the way out, Mark Levine had some very kind words from me, and more importantly, from my partner, Bernard, who he's been friends with for many, many years. So uh, it was a long interview, two segments. I, I really I urge you folks, go to WABCRadio.com. Do that today. W- and listen, it was a great job by Mark Levin. But here at the very end, some nice parting shots for Sid and Bernie. I should have you on every day. Well, Sid, same to you, my brother. Take care of yourself, man. Take care, pal. All right. Take All right. Care. Be well. And Google him. You're going to see a really fascinating man. And Sid Rosenberg. I just, I adore these guys. And I'm very upset about Bernie being sick like this. So I will buzz him tomorrow. Well, there you have it, folks. So uh, it was a great conversation. Mark Levin, the great one. And I did sell a bunch of books last night. Thank you, Mark. And uh, tonight, I'm going to be on uh, Jesse Waters, primetime, live, I believe, 720 tonight on Fox News. But uh, this one last night, Mark Levin, and it was a great report. I've never been on Mark Levin's show before. He's called it to me and Bernie about two or three times over the years. One or two, he wasn't even booked. One time he was driving from Virginia to New Jersey for Thanksgiving to a relative's house, and he had us on. It was the day before Thanksgiving. And he's like, I'm listening to you guys, and he ended up doing a 20-minute interview. How cool is that? Not even We didn't even book him. Just Mark Levin was driving, listening to us, called in. One or two other times we did book him. But this was the first time I did his show, and uh, Rich Valdez was there, and Rich Samantha, he would, great guys, both those guys. And it was just a big thrill last night, so thank you, Mark Levin. Wow, Wednesday before Thanksgiving, that's the, yes. big, that's the big party night usually yes. for people. Yes, So usually I'd be going out a lot tonight, Sid, but I decided to, <laughs> Sid and Brian called in. How great is that, Mark Levin? So it's, it's like affirmation from, like... The principle, I guess, said it. Even bigger. Even bigger. So when you get that, that's a big deal. So uh, thank you. Go back and listen. And uh, hopefully I can do it again. I I think one of those guys said, anytime something big happens in New York, Levin should bring Sid on. I should be the guy. I don't know if Curtis does that show. He does every show. Hannity, all of them. I have no idea who his New York guy is. But according to um, to Mark Levin, uh, which is going to make Arthur Idala very upset because he starts his show every night calling himself the quintessential New Yorker. I've got Mark Levin calling me that. According to Mark, I'm the guy. So we'll see if I go back and do more stuff. Either way, I appreciated this. And he was very, very sweet to uh, to Bernie, which was very nice. So was the crowd last night at uh, at bookends. So was the crowd at the 100-year gala. You know, wherever I go, folks, and I do a lot, as you know, I do a lot. God, I'm starting to sound like Trump. Uh, I do a lot. Uh, Wherever I go, whether it's an appearance whether it's a book signing, 
whether it's a radio show, this show, TV show, I always bring up Bernie. I always bring up Bernard, every time, every time. And I'm always met with the same reception, one of sadness, people fare badly, and one of celebration, because they love Bernie. And Bernie, for, what, 35 years, made New Yorkers laugh. And um, I do miss him. I do. But I got to go to work, because as I told uh, somebody here, in this business, the show must go on. You know, Rush Limbaugh was maybe the biggest voice ever, certainly the biggest conservative talk show host ever. And then he died. And the next day, there was a show. And I'm not saying Bernie's going to die. God forbid. God forbid. I hope he's around the next 40 years. But in this business, they don't wait around for you. So I've got the, I've got the responsibility, and it's not easy. It's not easy to come in every morning without him and do four hours, four hours of entertaining talk in New York City. And I do it. We're still number one. We're st- I'm kicking ass. But I miss him. I miss him a lot. Bernie taught me a lot along the way. I think we taught each other a lot. Bernie taught me a lot about how to approach the politics here in New York. And I think I taught Bernie how to be a little more uh, entertaining at times and the fundamentals of radio. We, uh, we just a perfect match. Got along great on and off the air for the better part of 20-plus years. And I hope to God, I really do, hope to God Bernie's back maybe next week, maybe the week after. I don't know. I've had no contact with Bernard, none. And no one's telling me anything about him, which is really scary, really scary. But I love him today. I'll always love him. Mark Levin loves him. You guys love him. And whether he's here for a month, a year, 10 years, or never again, all of us, all of us, we're lucky to say, I know Bernard McGurk. I'll be right back. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno, he's your numero uno. Hey, Bill O'Reilly here, and you are listening to Bernie and Sid. God help you on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Cavalcade of big-name guests about to stop by. Next hour again, Gary Myers, Joseph Abood, Governor Pataki. In the 8 o'clock hour, we will talk to Rob Shooter on the death of Queen Elizabeth, Lydia Serrani, and Rudy Giuliani. And in the 9 o'clock hour, former FDNY Commissioner Daniel Nigro and Peter King. My God, that's a great... I mean, come on. Who does this? Who does this? Phil? Sid Rosenberg, that's who. That's right. And is still entertaining and funny and cares while doing all this. Who does this? I guess uh, Levin does it, I guess. O'Reilly, um, Hannity, John Katzmatidis. Who else? I'll be on the fan next week, by the way. I'll give you more details on that. I'm going everywhere to promote this book. That's the bottom line. I got three weeks before I die 
<laughs> so I'm going to make every stop I can. If you're a big radio station or a big TV show, I'm there. And thank God they've invited me. So Macedonia, Phil, how old are you? 25. All right. So uh, you were born, that means, in 1997. Very good. Sir. All right. We only have a couple, about a minute here. You were four years old on that tragic day, 9-11-2001. Do you remember anything? Or were you too young, four years old? I, I, I remember, like, bits and pieces because I was not in school yet. I was at home. And my dad, he's a truck driver. And uh, he was in Queens, so I remember that was a whole ordeal. Uh, Him having... getting home, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, there's no, there was no communication with. Him. Was your mother nervous? Yeah, was, yeah. She was like freaking out. Did but... you cry? I don't. I, I don't. Remember. I don't remember. Did you cry? Did you cry? I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember anything. No. Did you Other make? Any, did you make any pants in your four still? That I remember. Yeah, yes. that, you still did, cool. right? I know. Okay. Well, you got pants. That that's a big deal. Yeah. Oh, well, I wouldn't go that far. Sometimes mm. there's a slip or two. What do you know about nine eleven? Did you learn about it in school? They teach you about it. It was weird, like early on, because it was still so new that it wasn't like history. Like we learned about the basics of it, but honestly, I didn't get too great of an education on it. Right, my son still doesn't. It's yeah, uh, I, now we're talking about twenty-one years later. I almost have to beg his principals to add it to the curriculum. Mm-hmm. Slavery all day. Oh my God, slavery all day. But the Holocaust and nine eleven. Yeah, we'll fit it in. We'll figure it out. Maybe uh, Thursday at nine. Well, give me in the next uh, fifteen seconds. What that day, even though you were four years old, now you're 25, what that day means to you, Phil? Well, it's probably the first major landmine American event in my lifetime. Like, I was born in 97, so yeah. up until then, you know, I, I don't know Y2K was not, like, a thing for me. And oh, you were three. That. that was a big deal. Yeah. I know, Not like, nearly as big as 9-11. I was going to yes. say, looking back, it's not really overly significant, but right. 9-11 is the first, like, real part of history that I, I experienced. All right. Very good answer. That's Macedonia Phil, folks, part of this amazing team we've got here with Lou Rafino, Justin Ellick, Deb Valentine, and a host of others. Coming up next, thank you, Diaz. Coming up next hour, it's going to be big, folks. Gary Myers, Joseph Aboud, and Governor Pataki. Three hours of great guests, compelling radio on the death of the Queen, and 21 years since 9-11. Plus, me, because I'm Sid, but it's always about me. Hour number two on the Purdy and Sid Show, coming at you. Bernard McGurk. Unacceptable is throwing your beer can on the subway tracks. <laughs> Sid Rosenberg. I don't believe it's a three-man race. Bernie and Sid in the morning on the Red Apple Podcast Network. After 9-11, there was a lot of cars. When I when I uh, drove in at 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, there was a whole bunch of cars, and that's not normal. That Those were cars of people that drove there and perished. And it was uh, it was it made me sick to my stomach to look at those cars and those people died. Well, I can stand beside ideals I think are right, and I can stand beside. The idea to stand and fight I do believe There's a dream for everyone This is our John Mellicamp, our country. country That was my late friend, the great Giants 
former head coach Jim Fossil, who died last year, talking about returning home on a Tuesday morning after opening the season, Monday Night Football against the Denver Broncos, 9-10-2001. The Giants got blown out. It doesn't matter. Uh, they got back, and, and I told you this story before. The giant plane actually pulled up at Newark Airport right next to United Flight 93. They had no idea. That flight was about to take off and crash in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Parcel and I became dear, dear friends over the years. We lost them, but the Giants and the Mets and all those teams were so vital in returning our city back to a sense of normalcy, especially baseball. The Mets, Mike Piazza, Yankees played in the World Series that year against Arizona. It was a big deal, sports. That's why my next guest makes sense on a day like today. A great writer for many, many years for the New York Daily News. A tremendous author. There's two new books coming out, 20 Greatest Moments in New York Sports. That's in February. And Once a Giant about life after football for the 86 Giant team that, of course, beat John Elway and the Denver Broncos in the Super Bowl in Pasadena. Here he is, my good friend, Gary Myers. Good morning, Gary. How are you? Good morning, Sid. How are you? You know, it just, I'm sure for you as well as me, it feels like yesterday, 9-11. And, you know, when you mentioned the Broncos, the Giants made out in Denver, I was supposed to cover that game. And Lisa Olson, who worked at the Daily News with me, by the way, Lisa Olson, for folks who don't know, was the writer who saw Zeke Mowat's penis and went to Zerk. <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't going to mention that. Well, but, I did. Um... <laughs> That's why I get the big bucks, Gary. <laughs> there, there you go. So um, I, I was supposed to cover that game, the Giants opener in Denver, and Lisa always liked to do the tri- trips west of Mississippi because she had family in Arizona. So she said, you know, can I do that game? Do you mind not going? And I said, no, it's okay. You know, at that point, anytime I can avoid a long plane flight was good for me. And then um, I was getting ready to go out that Tuesday morning to the Giants to write the postmortems on their loss. And um, Hank Gola from the Daily News called me and he said, put on the television. You know, it's like around 9 o'clock. Uh, in the morning, and then it was you know, obviously it was like, oh my god! Um, and all the giant riders who were out in Denver, you know, were fortunate in that they were able to rent cars because everybody was renting cars because the airport was closed, and they all drove back from Denver. And I was just really, you know, fortunate, you know, in a horrible situation that, that I was home and I was with my family. You know, rather than having a drive for days back mm-hmm. across the country from Denver. But, uh, you know, what what a horrible time in our country's history. Terrible. And I've become good friends with the whole family. Now, John, his son, works with the Dallas Cowboys, of course. And they put on a right. big golf tournament for Jim last August, which I was at. Carrie Collins was there, Tiki Barber, a host of others. And the Giants did a very good job going down there, Fossil, Strahan, Barber, all their major superstars, along with the Mm. Mets. I think the two teams, Gary, in the city that really went out of their way to help out were the Mets and the Giants. What do you think? Um, Yeah, I mean, the Jets did a good job. Vinny went down to to ground zero. uh, Vinny Testaverde, obviously. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you this story, Sid. So the, the Jets... And you're right. The Mets and the Giants were, were outstanding. Um, so the, the Jets' first game after 9-11 was in New England. 
And uh, the Patriots, it, it was such a patriotic day. Um, and so after the game, which the Jets, and that happened to be the game where Drew Bledsoe got hurt and a guy named Tom Brady took over. And, wow. That was the game where Mo Lewis hit Drew Bledsoe? Yes. Yeah. That's right. Um, so that that was the um, obviously the beginning of the, of the Tom Brady era. But so I'm on the field with Ian O'Connor. Um, I'm sure you you know you know Ian, oh, he's a great. longtime writer in New he's York. Yeah, we're good so we're down there for the, yeah. yeah, so we're down there for the last couple of minutes, uh, and then Brady comes running on the field because Bledsoe stayed in the game and then um, played the next series. And so we go down to the field because it was hard to get to the locker room in that old Foxborough Stadium. And then so two series after Bledsoe was hit by Mo Lewis, this guy number 12 runs on the field, Tom Brady. And I didn't really follow college football that much because I only have so many brain cells and I use them all <laughs> for the NFL. And so Brady runs in the field and I go to Ian, who is that guy? And, I mean, he played at Michigan, you know, for God's sakes. My son wound up going to school there. Right. Um, and so that – you know, he played the last couple of series of the game or the last series of the game. Couldn't get them in the end zone. The Jets won, I think it was 10-7 or 10-3, something like that. Sid, after the game, I'm talking to myself, talking to myself, talking by myself. I usually do talk to myself. But <laughs> I was talking by myself to, to Vinny Testaverde by his locker. And this is way after the game. And he says to me, I want to show you something. And there was a poster up about 10 feet from his locker with the pictures of the um, policemen and firemen who were missing or were confirmed dead. Oh, my God. And he, and he points to one of them, and he says, that was my receiver in high school. Oh, my God. Wow. Wow. And he went to school in Elmont, right, Long Island? Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm. One of those towns out that way. Mm. I think Elmont, I think you're right. Um, and I go, holy cow. I said, when did you find out? That I, I can't remember his name. His name was Ron something. Um, I said, when did you find out that he died? He goes, about 20 minutes before the game when I saw the poster. <clears throat> wow. Wow. So, I mean, there's just there's, there's a million stories. Yeah, there's a million. yeah, there are. There are. It was a, just a brutal day and a, and a brutal couple of weeks. And the NFL, of course, did stop play for a couple of weeks. The Giants came back. They played the Chiefs. Tiki Barber went nuts, right. by the way. And the Jets played yeah. uh, the Patriots. So I, I bumped into Gary last week. It's unbelievable. I haven't seen or talked to Gary in years. And I take my son Gabriel, as you guys know, he listen every day, to the Met-Dodger game last Wednesday night. And mm-hmm. who's sitting literally six seats away from me and Gabriel? This man right here, mm-hmm. Gary Myers. I had no idea you were such a big Met fan. No idea. Oh, since day one in 1962. I am the biggest Mets fan. Um, <laughs> I love the Mets. And Sid, that's one of the reasons I never covered baseball is because when you cover it on a daily basis, you can't root for the team you're covering. And Wait a second. You don't, so root that, for, you don't root for the Giants? No, I never okay. rooted for the Giants. Okay. Now, listen, I was a Giants fan growing up. I mean, I'll admit that. But once you do this professionally, you can't root. It just doesn't work. You've got to separate yourself from that. And I never had a problem with that. And that's one of the reasons I covered baseball. I, I mean, I covered football right. is because I was able to stay a baseball fan. So there are three teams I root for. I root for the Mets. I root for Syracuse, which is my alma mater. Right. And I've become just a huge Michigan Wolverines fan because my son, Andrew, um, 
graduated there in 2017. And so when he got there, yep. you know, I really started following. And I've known Harbaugh back from his days with the Bears, and I always liked him. Yeah, so good guy. Um, yeah. But I, I, I still live and die with the Mets. It's sick, but I do it. And, uh, <laughs> All right, I was, well, that's listen, so do I. And I'm a Michigan fan, too. My baby sister Elizabeth went there. I spent many days. Uh, when she was there, Glenn Rice won the national championship in yeah. basketball. But she had Harbaugh and Elvis go back at quarterback, and I went to many a game. It was very, very exciting. But you know me. I'm Mets, Knicks, Rangers, and Giants. So 1986 was a special mm-hmm. year for me because my Mets won the World Series. We beat Joe Abood's Boston Reds. Well, they have Boots in, in the other studio who's coming on next. And my Giants okay. went on to beat the uh, the Denver Broncos in that Super Bowl. Bill Sims, Pasadena, Lawrence mm-hmm. Taylor, Joe Morris, an amazing year. And you write all about it, Gary, in your upcoming book about the 86 Giants. Yeah, it's called Once a Giant, a story of victory, tragedy, and life after football. And I'm in the middle of writing it now, and it's coming out next September in time for the 2023 football season. And, and Sid, I've been fortunate enough, this is my sixth book. Um, I've had a New York Times bestseller, my Brady versus Manning book. This that was a great far. book. That was a great book, Gary. Great. Thank, thank you. I appreciate that. Sid, I promise you, this by far is going to be my best book. I have such unbelievable material from um, the different players and, and coaches that I interviewed for this and, uh, you know, including, you know, your friend, Lawrence Taylor, I went yeah. down, I, I met with him after Joe Namath's golf tournament in March. It, um, that morning I spent two hours at Bill Parcell's house, uh, into Cuesta, Florida, and then drove over 15 minutes to this beautiful golf course in Palm beach gardens. Um, and, and sat down with Lawrence, but, you know, I, I visited with, you know, Sims and, and Banks and Leonard Marshall, and I drove up to New England and spent about three hours with Mark Bavaro. His, you know, he was so – he's so different than he was when he played. You know, he, he barely would, would talk to the media. And I sat in his living room and talked to him for three hours. And his know, wife – That's true. Yeah, and his wife Susan came out when I was getting ready to leave, and she goes, boy, he must really like you. <laughs> three hours. No, he is like that. He's actually a very nice guy. All we saw He's him do was catch guy. All and we saw him do was catch touchdowns and genuflect. That was it. But, uh, that's right. That's <laughs> he was, right. He was um, great with that. But I, as I texted to you yesterday, said there's there's a lot of heartwarming stories in here and a lot of heartbreaking stories. And I think, you know, Giant fans – will just embrace this book because it's about the most favorite team in Giants history. By easily, I think, the most popular of the four Super Bowl teams because it was the first Agreed. and because it had Parcells and Belichick and right. um, Sims and LT. And I will give this little tease. Bill Belichick never cooperates on projects like this, but he cooperated with me. Wow. And just some really insightful stuff. From Belichick. I'll give you one little anecdote. This, this is so funny. So uh, Parcells for a long time lived in a um, a townhouse in um, in Jupiter, and and Belichick was looking for a, a place to to live down that way. You know, spend some of the winter time after the football season. So Parcells recommended his townhouse development, and it, it turns out Parcells lives on the fourth floor. Belichick lives on the sixth floor in the building, you know, the same building as Parcells, and the line of apartments directly above Parcells, right? So Parcells on the fourth floor, 
two floors directly up is Belichick. Belichick's back in New England coaching during the football season, and the pipe from his refrigerator burst, <laughs> and the water is running through his floor, through the ceiling of floor number five, through the floor of floor number five apartment, and into Parcells' apartment. No way. No way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. And those guys didn't get along for a little while. I guess they were getting along at that point. They lived in the same uh, in the same. Yeah, it was but, all because, yeah. of, you know, how Belichick left the Jets. Right, and right. It took him a few years, but um, yeah. I, I went to, in, in 2006, when Harry Carson got into the Hall of Fame, the Giants held a luncheon for him at Gallagher's, and Parcells was there, and Belichick was there, and Marty Schottenheimer was there. And that was one of the, the breakthrough moments in getting their relationship back on track. They sat there, you know, for a couple hours and, and, and spoke. And uh, I know that. And then a, they played a round of golf, and I think it was Nantucket. Um, I believe it was also that summer. And, and that's where they kind of said, you know, life's too short. We do right. so many great things together. Right. You know, let's move on from that. But they, they're back to having a really good relationship. In fact, when I saw Parcells, that day in March, I said, so what's up with Belichick? Have you seen him recently? He says, um, he's coming uh, He's coming in town the end of this week, and I'm meeting him for breakfast at 6.30 at the bagel shop that he loves around the corner. So, Sid, it, just, it was just so funny, and I know you relate to this. Bill's in his early 80s. Bill's, uh, Parcells in his early 80s. Belichick is around 70 now. And it just reminded me, like, of the stereotype. You know, you and I are Jewish. And it just reminded me, like, the stereotype of the old, the old Jewish of guys course. who to Florida. Delray Beach. They for, yes. They meet for bagels and cheese <laughs> on a Saturday morning. There's a million of those guys in Delray Beach right now having a Leo, lox eggs and onions, a bagel, <laughs> talking about the good old days of winning Super Bowls. There's a million of those guys. <laughs> That's I great. I know. I know. Uh, can, you ma- Sid, can you imagine? If you're a football fan and you're just walking into this bagel place, yeah, that's got to be great. Thirty on a Saturday morning to pick Amazing. up, a, you know, a dozen bagels, yeah. And Parcells and Belichick are sitting there in the corner hey. having a cup of coffee. And a bagel. It doesn't get bigger than that. You're right. That is huge. I can't wait for this book, the uh, the '86 Giants. I'm so glad, Gary. We bumped into each other at the Met game yeah. last week, and with 30 seconds to go, only 30 seconds. How in the world do you know my executive producer, Justin Ellick? I, you know, I'm so glad you asked me because regardless of what you just, question you just asked me, I was going to talk about Justin, who I've known since he was eight years old and had really long hair. And he, he and my son, Andrew, by the way, is getting married next June. Mazel tov. Um, thank you. Um, they played on a travel baseball team together for yeah. many years. Oh, wow. And Justin was an excellent center fielder. He sucks now. No, a little stop. As a player, yeah. if he struck out. Yeah, a little, little temperamental. Yeah, yeah it was a little yeah. temperamental. You're right about yeah. that. Now he's fat. He sucks. This is my lasting memory. <laughs> Just picture, picture this. So we're in Cooperstown. It's Cooperstown, Cooperstown Dreams Tour. Oh, you're going to tell this story. That's good. That's good. It's, it's um, this, is a, this is actually a funny story. Now, I don't think it's the one where you stormed off the field, Justin. Oh, gotcha. um, so there's a rain delay, and the kids are in the dugout. And Justin is doing a solo number of cold plays. Oh, my God. What do they call it? Vita La Vida? Yeah, Viva La Vida. Vida. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on. And I was doing the hip it thrust, was... the hip thrust with it, Gary. <laughs> oh, he, he, it was so oh, funny. funny. Justin, what did the kids nickname you? Hollywood? 
Uh, your name Hollywood Alex? No. Jeez, oh, what was it? Yeah. Maybe you guys want to continue this on your own show yeah. on Saturday morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't That's remember, Break your balls. That was, but, uh, that was yeah. like a different life. I, mean, I got to talk here. to like Rudy Giuliani and Governor Pataki. No, I mean, it's a great story. Don't get me wrong. But yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, Gary, you are, you're great. I want to uh, that, Justin. Ju- Justin has been passionate about this business yeah. since he, his first day of college. We've been in constant communication. I've talked to help more than I can. You're so lucky to have me. He's a great kid. I'm, it's fine. Calm down. Uh, you're great, though. Thank you very much. <laughs> Good luck with the book. And uh, keep coming back. When the books come out, come back again. I love you, Gary. Great job. Great job. Take care, Sam. Great to talk to you. <laughs> you too. There he is, the great Gary Myers. Envision this, folks. A young, handsome, now he's fat, a young, handsome, Justin Ellick grinding his pelvis to this. Some Coldplay. Joe Aboud is next. Bill O'Reilly here, and I'm warming up. Stand by for the O'Reilly Update Morning Edition. On this Friday, always I have believed in the ability of Americans to understand essential situations largely out of self-interest. good example is the election of Donald Trump in 2016. Voters could easily see that Mr. Trump lacked self-discipline and was going to uproot convention in Washington. It was obvious. But that's what millions of folks wanted after eight years of President Obama and creeping government control. So Trump won. And so did the voters who cared about economic freedom and obeying the law. President Trump ran the economy efficiently, stopped border anarchy, and supported law enforcement. Now we have a divided country once again, but I'm not so sure many of my countrymen understand the Biden experience. Yes, working folks are suffering economically. Certainly the criminal justice system is in tatters. And culturally, Mr. Biden has largely defined his opposition as anti-democracy. We all know those things. So you would think the president and his progressive allies would be done. I mean, how much more evidence is needed before voters revolt against bad policies and foolish rhetoric? But I don't see the revolt especially in the big cities. I see acceptance of terrible policies and incompetent leadership. I hope I'm wrong. I hope in the midterm elections, American voters send a message. We need effective and honest government. That is the morning O'Reilly update. More analysis later on. 
Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. Bernard McGurk. Bernard has been a friend of mine for so long. And Sid, you too. Sid Rosenberg. Not good, great. Bernie and Sid in the morning. I love you guys. I listen to you every morning and walk around the house laughing my butt off. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. Woo! All right, back here on Bernie and Sid. Gary Myers was great. Now I've got Joseph Abood in studio, who looks, I swear to God, like he's 25, he looks so, you look so handsome. You're tan, you're wearing beautiful colors. You look like you actually know something about clothing. How do you do it's, that? It's part of the image, right? It's part of the image. Yeah. But listen, you and I go back so long and look at your journey in fashion. Look what you've become. I know. You could get on a best dress list at, uh, at any time. But one of these days, uh, Joseph had a great idea. We'll do the best dress list at WABC. Absolutely. Some of us dress very nicely. Some don't. We're going to call some people out. Well, we'll do that, but we'll go into your guests, and we'll really oh, make wow. it. We'll have some fun with it. That'll be fun. Yeah. But today, you're here for two reasons. Yeah. First of all, the queen died yesterday. Yeah. You're a fashion designer. You spend a lot of time in Paris, in all London over the world, well. in yeah. London. Yeah. And you actually told me you met... Uh, not Elizabeth, but no. Princess Diana. Yeah, so. she was very charming. I met her at one of our CFDA Fashion Awards. Can you tell me about sex with her? Just say it. You're so excited. <laughs> she, let me just say this. She was so charming, so beautiful, so gracious. I spent maybe 10 or 15 minutes just talking wow. with her, and I was introduced by a wonderful woman, Liz Tilberis, who was the editor of Harper's Bazaar. Oh, wow. And she purposely pulled me over to meet the princess, and I have to tell you, I, I I was in awe, as you could imagine. Of course. I never found her to be all that attractive. But, but, she photographed very, very nicely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was the epitome of what was supposed to be a princess. Right. She's a good person. Yeah. Good person. Yeah. So and, was Elizabeth. I mean, she's surrounded she, by a bunch of horrible people, well, including her own son, who's about to be King Charles III. But she was a fine lady. Well, think how long he waited. But also... Think about the movie The King's Speech about her dad. Did you ever see that film? I did see that, That's a brilliant film. Brilliant film, and it really shows why uh, the monarchy does have some real relevance during crisis. Yes. And, 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 you know, just sort of a a wonderful story and a wonderful life. So you are here today, too, because uh, we're talking about 9-11. The whole day of programming is brought to you by Tunnel to Towers and Frank Siller, all day long here on WABC. Mm -hmm. And you've got a story of how you, very recognizable, gorgeous, famous fashion designer, you almost got arrested by the FBI. (laughs) I mean, even back then, the FBI was screwing up. Uh, Let me just say something. I could never have been more proud of our FBI than those four episodes that I had. They were amazing. Is that right? Yeah. So they you were weren't mad? A... You weren't even angry? No, well, I wasn't tell the mad. Story. Because, tell the story. Yeah, because basically the night of September 10th, my flight was on the runway for five and a half hours. Where were you? I was, in, I was at JFK. Where were you going? On a 767 American Airlines flying to San Diego to do personal appearances. Gotcha. So our flight was supposed to take off 530 it didn't take off till 11.30 that night. We were sitting on the plane. There, You're not allowed to do that anymore. I said to my PR guy, we've got to get off this plane and get on a plane tomorrow morning because we can't just sit here all night. But they wouldn't let us off the plane. 
So we fly to San Diego the next morning at 6 o'clock in the morning. I'm talking to my wife, Lynn, and we see the planes hit the towers. You saw the planes. Well, well you're watching TV I mean, at the we're watching airport. TV. Right, yes, right, yes. Right, right. Right. Well, I'm actually already in my room in San Diego. And um, my daughters were petrified that I, they knew I had been flying to the West Coast, and they thought I was on one of the planes. Because they purposely wanted those planes because of all the jet fuel. Right. The well, further the, the trip, the better. That's right. right. So the flight that I, ha- that I was on, the reason why the FBI had contacted me was really for two reasons. One, I had a round-trip ticket, but I only took the flight one way. Oh. And secondly, there were people on my plane, box cutters and electronics, that they think the plane that I was on was supposed to be hijacked the night of September 10th, but the weather was so bad that oh there was God. no visibility. Is that right? Yeah, there was no visibility. But oh. the part of the story is that I had to get home to see my daughters. My daughters lost some of their friends' parents in in the towers, and I said, I have got to get home. And there was no way to get home. You couldn't get a flight. You couldn't get a train. So I rented a limousine, and we had two drivers, and we drove 54 hours straight from... Los Angeles to Bedford, New York. Oh, my God. And uh, we were also identified in somewhere in New Mexico where someone reported there was a dark uh, American sort of with Arab accents <laughs> with two bodyguards. And the, and but, but the FBI really followed up. And they I found out at that time that there were four different FBI agencies contacting me. And I have to tell you, I wanted so to... So they thought you were one of the terrorists? No. One of the hijackers? They, they no, knew no. I was on the plane, and they knew that... And they showed me. When they came to my office in New York, I tried to lighten up, and you'll you'll appreciate this. Um, I said, well, look, I'm a fashion designer. I, how much more American can I be? I'm a Red Sox <laughs> fan. And, I, and, and, I, and the guy says to me, you know what? I know you because I listened to you on Imus in the morning. Wow. This was the FBI agent. And, uh, and they were really... Great, but they pulled out a book of 200 photographs of suspected terrorists. And it was chilling because in those 200 photographs were the 19 terrorists oh, they were there. that died. Well, out to all those all of those yeah. guys. And it yeah. was so chilling not to see their faces in a newspaper, but mm. right in front of me. And, mm. and I will tell you the most amazing thing, Sid, for months after my office was on... 52nd and 5th, and I overlooked St. Patrick's. And I'd be looking at fabrics and designing clothes, and then I'd hear bagpipes. And I went to the window, and for three months, I saw 500 to 1,000 policemen line 5th Avenue. And by the way, Rudy Giuliani was at every one of those funerals. I I believe it. I believe it. And I watched. I almost felt like an intruder. I watched those fire trucks and, and watched the limousine where a woman would get out with two little kids. And I said to myself, what am I doing? I'm, I'm looking at fabrics. I'm design-. And I realized the lives that they lived and they lost and how great our fire department and police department and how much respect they deserved. And you said something the other day that I've said forever. They didn't ask anybody if they were a Democrat or a Republican. Or black or white. They didn't. They went in and they did their job and paid the ultimate price. And we can never forget that here in New York City what our police and fire department did. They were absolutely heroic, and we use that word so often. They were the heroes of 9-11. Wow. You couldn't say it any better. 
I mean, that was great, Joseph. And by the way, you're guilty of using that word way too much. Like, no more Garcia Parra, a hero. Calm down. (laughs) (laughs) David Ortiz, a hero. Jim Rice, a hero. Well, I love those guys. And those are my, you know, those are my sports icons. Larry Bird. And then you had to bring up 1986, which we handed you the World Series. Yes, you did. We we did. um, The great Bill Buckner, God rest his soul. He died already. Yeah, no, uh, you know, an amazing guy. Yeah. You know, I love my sports. I, I love that. I think that's what makes America so great, keeping politics out of sports. I love my teams. You know, I respect teams. I love Aaron Judge, not because he crushes us, but because he's a great ball player. Yeah. And you've got you to yeah. respect talent. And by the way, Boston does turn out to be one of the scenes of one of the most horrific terrorist attacks in yeah. our nation's history. Yeah, I was at the game that day. I know you were. Yeah, yeah. and that was terrifying. And uh, just to be in the park, walking toward the finish line, and then the crowd. Boylston Street. Boylston Street, and then we heard the explosions. And uh, my two daughters were at BC, and as you remember, you couldn't, um, the cell phones weren't working. Right. And so I was really concerned about my girls where they were. Wow. So, yeah, and and, and again, one of the great moments in Yankee history, why I will love the Yankees for this one moment, they played Sweet Caroline at the Yankee Stadium. The day wow. after that. Which, of course, is the Red Sox. Yeah. So that's great. Yeah. You are beautiful. Those are two amazing stories. And uh, they're real, which is really cool. Yeah. And you continue to be a, a dear, 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 dear friend. I love you so much. Thank and you. a great American. And thank you for coming by. And come back soon. We'll do the best dress list. Okay? Sid, I just will say this. Um, Bernie, if you're listening, I love you. I was just telling Lou how we uh, suffered the... Uh, the uh, I miss moments and how you were a steady force. I love you, Bernie, and I'm um, thinking of you. We all are rooting for you. And I can't believe Sid's meteoric rise to <laughs> superstardom, which is frightening to me. And I'm part of the reason but that. But you called it. You uh, did uh, call it. I did. Yes, I called did. it early, yeah. and uh, you're a style icon. <laughs> I love you. Thank you. Love you, Sid. That is a great Joseph Abu. That is a great 40 minutes. Bernie and Sid in the morning on the Red Apple Podcast Network. She keeps a moish in a pretty cabinet. This is Smart Lewis, Queen. I get it. Freddie Mercury, Queen. Great hour last hour. Gary Myers, 9-11 NFL. Joseph Abood, his 9-11 memories. And, of course, Governor Pataki. Coming up this hour, Lydia Serrani and the great Mayor Rudy Giuliani. Next hour, former FDNY Commissioner Daniel Nigro and Peter King. But we'll take a break now talking about Queen. Queen Elizabeth did pass away yesterday. Well, Nelly Rob Shooter comes in. He's handsome. He's debonair. He's got the accent. He's funny. We'd be talking about Teresa Duvadice dancing with the stars, who Harry Styles is banging this week. But today, it's a very serious conversation because he is from London, and the Queen died yesterday. So in between his appearances this morning on Good Morning America, the Today Show, all these big events, uh, Rob Shooter has found time. Time from me, which I appreciate. Here he is, the great Rob Shooter. Good morning, Robert. Hello, hello, hello. Of course, this is my favorite, favorite conversation of the day with you. Uh, I know you mean that, too, so thank you, thank you, thank you. So, of course, uh, the Queen passed away yesterday. Let me start by saying, as much as me and Bernie can't stand the royals, and we make fun of those perverts and sick people, uh, she was a nice lady, and uh, she was an elegant, wonderful leader. So let me start by saying, I'm sorry. Mm, it's it's a it's a sad day, you know. I have friends, lots of friends, who are not monarchists, who are not big fans of the royal family, and goodness knows that family has its issues. There's something about Queen Elizabeth. She was special. She was the last of her kind. I'm not sure 
we'll see another person like her. It's a remarkable life, well lived. She died in the comfort of her own bed, in her own house, surrounded by family. It's a, it's a good life. So I totally understand all the grief and the sadness today. I'm feeling it myself. But I'm also feeling like, you know what? She did a great job. Yeah, she did. I mean, 70 years, 14 or 15 prime ministers. <sighs> Everybody loved her. But the, but the sad part is, is her son is about to become king, that idiot. And that's going to happen, what, as soon as today? Now it happens. So in Britain, the queen is dead. Long live the king. The moment she died, he technically became the king. He's going to be formally announced as the king tomorrow. And then we're going to wait about six months before he puts the crown on his head for the coronation. But he now is the king. Massive implications. Just think about the money in there. The pound. It's going to take her face off and put his on. So the Bank of England has said it's still legal tender today. But over the next two years, they're going to change the money and put his face on instead. And we're never going to hear, I think, in our lifetimes, God save the queen ever again. It's going to be God save the king. His son's going to be a king. His son is a king too. So for the next hundred years or so, it's going to be kings, not queens, on the British throne. Now, how does he become the king? Didn't he kill his ex-wife, Diana? All kidding aside. <laughs> <laughs> America, you know, fought a war to get rid of the King of England. And so the way you become the King or the Queen is you are the eldest child of a living monarch. So he's her eldest son. She has four kids. He's the eldest. He gets the throne. He has two sons, and the eldest son is William. So William gets the throne after him. It's a brutal system if you think about it. Like, you do not get the job until your parent dies. It's a really cruel wow. system, but that's how it works. So he's going to be King Charles III, and for people that don't know the history, Rob, of your hometown, he actually considered dropping that name because of King Charles one and two. Oh, so what did second. those guys do? Exactly. They were bad guys. So, like, when you become the king or the queen, you can change your name. You can call yourself whatever you want. He's decided to go with Charles because we've known him as Charles for 73 years, so it'd be difficult for him to change it. But Charles I is the only monarch in British history to ever have his head chopped off. And Charles II, his son, was a loser too. <laughs> Charles was like, should I change my name to Philip or Bertie or Robert or Sid? But no, he's sticking with Charles. So Charles wow. III. Oh, and you, know, you mentioned the fact that uh, when he dies, uh, his son William is in line to become the next king. And then I guess Charlie, right? The kid, what's the kid's name? Uh, not Charlie. George. Uh, George, George, that's right, George, right. Um, but um, now, as of now, he becomes a king, and even William and his wife, Kate Middleton, they've got new titles too, yes? Yeah, yeah they step up, so they've already inherited his title. So now they're the Duke and the Duchess of Cambridge and Cornwall. Now, get this, because he's no longer the Prince of Wales, he could make his son the Prince of Wales, which would make Kate Middleton the Princess of Wales. Oh, my God. Yes. yes. Know. You know, you know, it's funny you mentioned Wales. So my beautiful daughter, Ava, was supposed to go to school in England, and it turns out she's enrolled, and her and Danielle are leaving in about eight days. She's going to a school in Wales called Cardiff. You know that school. It's magnificent. It's the capital of Wales. It's a fantastic town. She is going to love it, and they're lucky to have her. 
Sir Charles was the Prince of Wales, and now he's the king. It looks like his son William will become the Prince of Wales. Wow. And, you know, William is still relatively likable. They hate Harry and Meghan. And to make matters worse, is this true, Rob? Did did Harry actually show up late to his grandmother's death? She died before he got there. So oh, my God. There. I know, and they didn't fly in from California. They were in Germany. So they were in London. Then they went to Germany. They were back in London. And the whole family shot up the minute that they knew this was going to happen. You know, I, I, I got to tell you, with the Queen dying, it's really a sad, a sad day. It really is. And, and I hope that the media doesn't get obsessed, Rob, with Harry and Meghan Markle. Yeah. Make this about Queen Elizabeth, not those two dopey kids. I, I, I'm going to listen to you today because I'm doing tons of interviews. Everybody wants to talk about Meghan and Harry. It's not their day. It's not their moment. Let's talk about her. She had a wicked sense of humor. She loved a gin. Every day she had a gin. I like that about her. <laughs> and she used her handbag as a way to communicate. So her staff said that if she was sitting down with a head of state or someone she didn't like, if she moved her bag from the left to the right, that meant get rid of them. And so anybody that uses their handbag as a way to communicate is my type of girl. Oh, She's a great, great girl. That is a great story. Rob Shooter <laughs> giving us info no one else knows. Now, again, you told me that Queen Elizabeth had her beloved horses, her beloved <sighs> dogs. What happens to those yeah. animals? Well, it's great. I, I was talking to some of my palace sources, and they said, if you think about it, probably the only creatures in the world that did not know she was the queen were her dogs <laughs> and that's why she liked them because yep. they didn't suck up to her like I, my dog doesn't suck up to me either it gets <laughs> my nerves a bit but so she loved her animals they're actually going to go to her daughter so her daughter princess Anne, very horsey a country girl so those animals are going to go to her daughter, and I'm sure the Queen has looked after them in her will, too. She adored those corgis. Yeah. And her husband passed away, Philip, uh, last year, maybe yeah. before that. And, you know, listen, he was a nice guy, but he put her through hell. Let's be honest. A lot of the stories weren't even published about some of the running around that he did. But yet, mm-hmm. she's going to be laid right next to Prince Philip, yes? Yeah, well, he's going to be moved next to her. So he is currently in the royal vault. He's not actually technically been buried yet. So they're going to bury him next to her in St. George's Chapel, which you will know as the place where Meghan and Harry got married. Her mom and dad are there. Queen Elizabeth I is there. So that's going to be her final resting place. It's in Windsor. And so I think now Windsor is a really popular town, about 20 minutes outside of London. I think it's going to get even more popular because people are going to want to go and pay their respects. Hey, Rob, let's go back to Prince Charles for a second. Uh, You say he's got a very big decision to make when it comes to Harry and Meghan's kids. What do you mean by that? Well, if I was Harry, I'd think twice about publishing this tell-all book because his dad is now the king, which means he's got a ton of power. And now the dad technically can decide if Harry's children become princes and princesses. So when Meghan Markle sat down with Oprah, she implied that her son Archie was not HRH, his royal highness, because of the colour of his skin. She was wrong. That was not true. She was not in the line of succession. But now the Queen has died. They've all moved up the line of succession. So now her kids could become today princes and princesses. So Harry... Check that book. Edit that book because the dad is king. Wow. That is a big deal. You're right. Now, you said the money is going to change. The queen comes off the money and King Charles goes on it. What about the national anthem? Yeah, God save the king. So uh, last night in front of Buckingham Palace, people burst out singing God save the king. So now in our lifetimes, 
we're never going to hear the national anthem sung as God Save the Queen anymore because it's going to be three kings now, three in a row. So now it's God Save the King. Hey, Rob, I know a lot of people don't like Charles, even back in his homeland in London. But now that he is the king, will people try to bury uh, old resentments and say, hey, you're the king, I I, got to like you now? Does does it work like that in London? I think it works like that in all families. Like, what happened here is his mom set him up to succeed. She wants him to be the king. She wants Camilla to be the queen. So if it's good enough for Queen Elizabeth, I think we'll give him a chance. This is the thing, though. He can't mess it up. He doesn't have to be a great king. Just keep the seat warm for 20 years <laughs> for William. Like, just don't mess it up. Yeah. And I fear it's going to get political. I fear he's going to talk about stuff. You know, she rose above all that, and I'm hoping he takes a leaf out of his mom's book. You know, it's been a rough 10 days there. When you think about it, Rob, just about 10 days ago was the 25-year commemoration of the tragic death of Princess Diana. And like 10 days later, now Queen Elizabeth dies. It is a rough couple of weeks back in your homeland. It's rough. It's rough. It's rough. And remember, too, the boys, William and Harry, they were at Belmoral when they found out their mom died. So their granny dying there, too. Uh. I'm sure it has extra meaning for them, but... Been a rough couple of weeks, a new prime minister too. I think the Brits are all feeling this tremendous change in a world where the Queen was always stable. She was always the one person we could look to that didn't change. So on the, on the way out, and again, you were brilliant today. I love you so much, and you're so good. This is why all these networks want Rob Shooter on today. Is it fair to say for weeks, maybe months, we will see video footage from England of people crying in the streets? Yes, definitely for weeks. It's going to be today. Prince Charles, King Charles, look at me, has already announced it's going to be. I know, 10 days of mourning, 10 days of mourning. That's a lot of mourning. So I think that once that she's finally buried, they're going to want to turn the page. And the way this system is set up is that we have this terrible grief and then a huge celebration when a new king is is on the throne. So I think Mm. it will move quickly, but, you know, it's going to take a while. But she was there a long time, and she's beloved. I get it. Even my friends that don't like the royals love Queen Elizabeth. That's me. I mean, I can't stand the royals, but I felt badly when she died. Did you cry yesterday? Oh. Yeah, I, I should have seen Oh, you're such a, I, you're I, such I, a I'm wuss. Not, My God, no, Rob. No, <laughs> I'm a bit tough, stronger. No, I'm a wuss. Please, I cried when the Real Housewives with Bethany Frankel left the Housewives. I was in tears for a month. Will you be going home for the funeral and the, the new I, king party, all that? I will be. So um, I'm going to be lucky enough, I think, to be there in the Abbey. 2,000 people are going to be invited, and I think I'm going to be leaving in a couple of days. Okay. From London. Please do that. I love you. This is a great job this morning. Good luck the rest of the morning. And you keep talking, Rob Shooter. You're the best. I love you. Take care, my friends. Hey, happy 100th anniversary, WABC. You've been around longer than the Queen. Ah, uh, that's right. We beat the Queen by four years. How about that? All right, the great Rob Shooter right there. Still lots more to do. Lydia Serrani, Rudy Giuliani. Former FDNY Commissioner Daniel Nigro and the great Peter King on this, the 9-11 slash Queen edition of Bernie and Sid on the best radio station in the country. Talk Radio 77, WABC. This is Lydia Reports on 77 WABC. Here's Lydia Serrani. Sid, before I get to my report,
report, I was driving home yesterday and I just, you know, of course I'm listening to 770. I turn on the great one, Mark Levin, and there you are for (laughs) two solid segments. I'm listening and you are so on point. I'm not just saying this because you're my friend. I even had to text you about it because I couldn't believe just how good you were. And you were, you were talking about how, how important it is and the reason we are number one, WABC, specifically Bernie and Sid, is because you're not just doing sports and you're not just doing entertainment. You're not just doing music. You're doing it all. And New Yorkers want to be informed and they want to hear the truth. And that's why they're listening to you guys. And you were just had so much passion and fire and he plugged your book several times. So bravo to you. You did a great oh, job. I appreciate the beautiful text you sent me last night. It was amazing for me. It was a huge honor. It was surreal. It was humbling. He did keep me on for two segments. We talked about everything, as you know, Lydia, from Eric Adams to Kathy Hochul to Donald Trump, the ruination of our best cities, New York, Philadelphia, Chicago. He asked me about the future of radio, and he did plug my book. He was awesome, and you were the first person to text me last night after the conversation, so thank you. Thank you very much. I, you know, I'm, I'm a WABC junkie. I listen to it all the time. I've been, I listened to it obviously before I started working there. That's why I wanted to work at WABC because I was always a fan. I was a fan of WABC. I listened to Bernie and Sid. I always listened to Mark Levin. I had also listened to Ben Shapiro here yep, and there yep, when I yep. could understand him because he talked too fast. <laughs> but, and then, and then of course, Curtis. Of course, I listened to Curtis. Who doesn't listen to Curtis? And then Rudy. Uh, but yeah, you, you brought up some common sense points about the Democrat cities and they're being run into the ground by our leaders. And I was thinking about it. I said, you know what? Mayor Adams, if he really wanted to show his cojones, his bolia, that's how you say bulls in Albanian. If he really wanted to show his guts, cause he's a guy from the street, right? He's from Brooklyn. He's a, he could be, you know, he, he should say, you know what, Kathy Hochul? You don't want to do anything about the bail reform law. I'm withdrawing my support. He doesn't even have to say, listen, I am going for Zeldin. All he has to do is say, I am going to vote for the candidate and support the candidate that wants to keep my city safe. And if Kathy Hochul doesn't want to do it, I've been crying. I've been, I've been you know, saying it out loud. Hey, I, I want to bail reform changes and she's not doing it. Well, this is, she's not listening. So I'm withdrawing my support. I love how, how much. Right? How good would that be? be? But first of all, she has tried to reform the bail. Uh, But unfortunately, she's done very, very little. But she'll say, wait a second, I did try to reform it. And she did. But she did very little. And she never calls out Stuart Cousins or Heastie. So she's not fooling anybody. But to your point, yes, that would go a long way. The people in New York would say, listen, he really does care. But right now, like I told Mark Levin last night, it just seems like he says these things, but honestly, couldn't care less. Couldn't care. Because about five months ago, Kathy Hochul put it in there that if you've been arrested multiple times with a gun, then you have to be held in, in jail. You have to, you can't be just charged with a misdemeanor and allowed to walk. But they didn't put into account anything when it comes to robbery or when it comes to knives, like that guy, the doorman, the 82 year old that had the machete whacked to his head. And then as he tried to escape the psychotic woman, she sprayed him with pepper spray just two weeks prior that that this incident happened, the same woman flashed a machete at somebody else. I mean, in the last like two months, that woman had been flashing knives and machetes and threatening people. She was also arrested multiple times and simply walked, walked free. 
So she was basically saying, you know, I'm going to kill somebody. And then, it, and then it took a guy's head, his skull to be cracked, his life to almost be lost. An 82-year-old guy who went back into the workforce trying to make a living, an African-American guy, by the way. She's also African-American. So once again, we're seeing that the victims of these crimes are usually people of color, usually people just trying to make a living. And Kathy Hochul doesn't care about them. She doesn't care. And like I heard you say yesterday on Mark Levin, this is insanity that people would actually vote for somebody that doesn't give two about them. Right. You know, and, and, and by she, the way, what is the one thing that we've got in common with other great cities? And Mark brought these up. Mark's a Philadelphia guy. Me and you, Lydia, were New York people. Chicago's a great city. It's been ruined. Los Angeles is a great city. It's been ruined. Atlanta has been ruined. What do they all have in common? All of them. Democrat leadership. You don't have to be a genius to figure it out. You give me a Democrat mayor and a Democrat governor, and your city and state will turn to hell. Bottom line, it's been proven time and time again over the last five to ten years. And then on top of them, the Democrats trying to ruin our cities with the crime, letting the criminals out, caring more about them than actually caring about law-abiding citizens. Look what's going on in California. I know it's across the country, but they're in an energy crisis, and it's all man-made. It's self-imposed because their obsession with electric this and electric that. Now, I mean, my God, they, they can't even turn on the lights. They have no AC, and that's what's going to happen here in New York, too. We need the fossil fuel industry. We need gas. We need oil. We need all these things. What are they going to do? Run these factories? Run, uh, uh, you know, on windmills? We're going to see little Dutch <laughs> girls like riding bikes, like to make the windmills go. Like we have to be realistic. Maybe they need to look into nuclear energy or something, you know, but God forbid you even use that word. They're so stupid. That's all I have. That's that. I don't know what else to say, but they're just stupid. Well, they're not just stupid. They're also evil. They've all got agendas. They all got biases. So it's a combination, Lydia, as you know, of stupid and evil, and that makes for really bad outcomes. Really bad, as we see. And then you wonder who is paying them off. Are these special interest groups? Are they getting well, you know, kickbacks George from, like, to... you know, George Soros is a big of an enemy in this country, as Osama bin Laden was. He really is. George Soros mm -hmm. is a real United States enemy. So to borrow your line from yesterday, vote Republican, vote Republican, <laughs> vote Republican. Right. Even if you think that Republican, I started thinking about it because some of these Republicans, I'm like, oh, you're a little wacky. You're better off voting for the Republican that actually cares about this country, wants to preserve democracy, wants to keep criminals behind bars than these Democrats because they want to empty the jails. It's really scary. They want to make us dependent on China for energy, for the batteries, and then tell us you can't charge your cars. It's out of control. Vote Republican and vote for Lee Zeldin if you want to save your state. And don't listen to Kathy Hochul and move to Florida. Stay no, right here that's right. and vote, vote, vote. And we got, we're going to wrap this up. Uh, so John Katzmatidis, 5 o'clock. You don't want to miss it. Truth, Justice, and the American Way. I heard you give uh, the 5 o'clock show a plug yesterday as well. Yes, so I did. So bravo to you. Thank you. I'm sure... Thank you very, very much. And your book, Citizens, even spelled it out for you, too. I know. That was great. How great was that? That was great. Was, well, thank you for the uh, kind text last night. Thank you for your great reports all week. You're doing a great job. I love you. Thank you very much. Thank you. The great Lydia Serrani, folks. Follow her on Twitter, at Lydia News, Instagram, at Lydia News 1. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. I, I, it's a feeling more than what I say. I have a terrible, terrible feeling. And then I try to analyze it and 
sort of get myself out of it by thinking about all the brave people and the wonderful things that they were able to do to save people. But there's still that feeling, why did it happen? It shouldn't have happened. It's totally irrational. It gets you to what kind of world do we live in? People are going to, you know, fly into a building with civilians mm. and kill them while they're having their breakfast. Mm. We've done nothing to them. What? What? This is this is the world we live in. My goodness, you know, it. Uh, yeah. It's a very very difficult day. Yeah. I don't like it. I don't like the day. Uh, even though I meet, there are some very joyous moments that day. I get to see uh, kids that were at eulogies of mine that were five years old sitting there wonder, wondering what was going to happen to them. And now they just graduated from college. Wow. So, wow. so there's some beautiful things about it. Yep. But overall, there's still a very, very sad feeling. City in ruins. It is a day that changed our lives forever, and New York's news talk leader will never forget it. 77 WABC joins the Tunnel to Towers Foundation, my dear friend Frank Seller, for special days of tribute today, September 9th, and Sunday, 9 11. Tunnel to Towers Foundation, 9 11 Remembrance, remembering 9 11 21 years later. And of course, that was Rudy Giuliani. He made those comments with me on this show a week ago. And you cannot talk about that day without talking to the face of courage. You know, I posted a picture of me and Rudy on my Instagram at Rosenberg.Sydney yesterday from the 100-year celebration. He looked so handsome. We looked so good together. And then, of course, everyone knows his son, Andrew, has become a dear friend of mine as well. Three o'clock every weekday. And again, the bravest man I know, the great Rudy Giuliani. Rudy, welcome back, pal. How are you? I'm 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 good, Bernie, and uh, that was a beautiful, beautiful introduction uh, that you did, uh, and and thank you. Uh, you're welcome, uh, Rudy. Uh, listen, let's get uh, right to that uh, right to that day. I know it's difficult for you. Uh, I know that it brings back horrible and good memories. But I had Pataki on about a month about about an hour ago, and uh, he was in the city that day. He was very rarely in New York City, but he had something to do with his daughter, so he's in the city that day. You woke up. Clear day, blue skies. Giants got beat the night before Monday Night Football. It was an ordinary day, and then Rudy, it wasn't, was it? You want a little more sports? Uh, sure. Connection to it? Sure. Uh, yeah. Um, the Yankees got rained out the night before, and I had dinner that night with Mrs. Pee Wee Reese and Mrs. Ro- uh, Jackie Robinson because we were planning the next day to have a luncheon, a uh, breakfast. Excuse me to raise money for the statue of Pee Wee and uh, Jackie that we were going to put at the Mets Stadium in Coney Island. Yes. Now, those people that came to that breakfast were trapped at City Hall 
and we had to evacuate them. That's part of the story of September wow. 11. It doesn't get much wow. attention. It, it included Mrs. Peewee Reese. It was, it was after Peewee had died. And a movie, they, 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 they premiered a movie that night about Peewee's illness, about what he went through, you know, in fighting cancer, which was quite beautiful. His son is a movie maker. And uh, the Yankees were, were, were rained out that night. And um, I wasn't going to go to the game because, uh, because of them. And uh, I remember having to make a choice. And I said, well, I think this is more historic for baseball to be with these two wonderful women. Wow. And that's a big deal because the Yankees and the Brooklyn Dodgers, I mean, every year that was the World Series. Now, you had the upper hand with you because the Dodgers only beat you guys once in uh, 1955. You won every other World Series. But that was a huge rivalry back in the 50s. Oh, when I was a young boy, it was uh, life and death. It, it, this is a, a true story. I think many people don't believe but I was once taken into a, a lot behind my house in Brooklyn, and uh, the, I, I, I imagine these kids were kidding, but they uh, threatened to lynch me. <laughs> oh, my God. I swear to God, there were about eight, about eight of them. I mean, they really had me ganged up, and we lived in a two-story house, and my grandmother was a tough old bird. She lived through the Depression. She, had, she brought up... Uh, uh, seven children as a, as a widow. She uh, opens the window and she yells out, you touch him and I'll be down there and I'll kill every one of you. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so so this has been happening in your life, not just now with the FBI. This has been happening with your life. <laughs> I think I, I, I've read some of your book now that I got it, Bernie. And I do think these are the things that shape us. I, I think you're right. I always call you Bernie. Yeah. I know you're kid. <laughs> yeah, you call me Bernie twice. I know you know who I am. Uh, but I know yes, exactly, and I love you. And, I love uh, you too. Thank you. You have the best suntan of any man I know. <laughs> Thank you. And you're right. But these do these things. It's in the book. It does shape your life. It makes us who we are today. So whatever you went through as a kid. Getting beat up by Brooklyn Dodger fans made you ready. I guess. I guess for yeah, that for that nine eleven. The things that happen to you when you're a kid are ten times bigger than the things that happen to you now. Oh, it's true. It's because true. You're a tiny little thing in this big, big world, and everything exaggerates. But September 11, it really – I never do justice to describing my feelings, and I'm sure all of us who went through it don't, uh, about September 11, because they are more complicated than any set of feelings I have about anything. I mean, it was the worst day of my life. It was the worst day in the life of the city I love. And one of the worst days in the life of America. America has had some other pretty bad days, but it would have to be up there with one of the top five or six worst days in the history of the country that we love. And uh, if you lived in New York, you had to know people that died, or you quickly got to know them because they were a friend of a friend. So if you lived in New York at the time, you have a personal connection to it more than some of the awful other yeah. things that happened. Yes, in uh, Pennsylvania. And me, of course, it was. Said, it was. Yep. I was in charge. I, I had to look around and say, hey, pal, there's no, no escape in this one. You're in charge of this one. And I really got that feeling big time when I was told that Father Judge was the first person that they found at ground zero. I had just seen Father Judge, oh, let's say a half hour earlier. He was walking toward uh, 
the, the, the building. I went up to him and I said, Father, uh, will you pray for us at this point? I usually used to say, you're going to pray for me. And he would always respond. He was the funniest guy. He would say, it'd be a lot better if you pray <laughs> because it would be unusual. You to pay attention. <laughs> That's funny. That is funny. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, Woody, but he died as a result of somebody who jumped out of the building. We don't exactly know. He's right next to a man. He's somewhat crushed. So one, one, the original, the original, the original uh, version was that he was giving the last rites to this man. This is before the building came down. Uh, he definitely died before the building came down. Or it could be that the man hit him mm. and killed him. And I'll tell you, the first thing that put me in a state of shock, which I had to suppress, is when I arrived there. I went with Bernie uh, Carrick and with Joe Loda to the to the building, right to the building, because I wanted to go to the fire department command post because I wanted to make sure that my fire department and my police department were 100 percent coordinated. We had no room here for sometimes the lack of coordination that takes place. So I took Bernie with me to, uh, to go to the command post of the police department, which was right below Tower One. Maybe a half a block away, and I'm looking up, and I see this man jump. Aye, aye, aye. And I get transfixed by it. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen a fire. You know, you're supposed to walk away, and you just continue to look at it, right? Yep, yep. And and I just continued to look at this man, and I saw him hit the ground. Oh. And I grabbed Bernie, close to my grand character, and I said, Bernie, this is beyond anything we've ever dealt with before. <laughs> We're going to have to go with our instincts. And just pray to God we made the right decision. What I meant by that was we had something like 24 emergency management plans. We were obsessive about it. We had two different heads of emergency services, uh, Jerry Hauer and Richie Shearer. And they used to drive us nuts with um, exercises and drills and constantly bringing us warnings like we were going to get attacked in 1994. 95, when we had the uh, anniversary of the UN, there were 170 world leaders here. We were sure we were going to be attacked. And that, was, we were, that was like two years after they originally bombed the World yeah, Trade Center. Oh, I had I had divers in the water outside of uh, outside of the uh, the place outside of the UN. Uh, we had all kinds of information. We infiltrated we infiltrated the uh, mosques in in New Jersey. And Chris Christie didn't find out about it until 10 years later. <laughs> he got mad at Bloomberg, not aye, me. <laughs> aye, 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 Chris Christie. You know, I, I go back to that day, and I was on the air with Imus when the first plane hit. We're talking about the Giant game, by the way. It was so uh, uh, unreal and, and surreal now. Yeah, I know. It's just unreal. And and I remember watching you all day, and I remember saying, and I didn't know who you are. Uh, just, you were the mayor, but I didn't know you personally. And I said, I don't know, man. He's got to be scared. But you never, to your credit, never uh, during all those days, acted scared or nervous. You were a true leader. But I'll ask you now, at any point during that day, were you legitimately scared? Damn right I was scared. Sure, how could I not be, right? And I would, I would, I would deal with it the way my father, my, my father is the bravest man I ever knew. And my father taught me from the time I was a young child, fear gets you nowhere. You're going to feel it. He taught me to be a boxer. And he used to say, first time, you're going to love boxing until the first time you get hit in the face. <laughs> and I, I For about two years, I boxed with him, and then I started boxing. 
first time I got hit in the face, I wanted to quit. <laughs> he said, you, got, you have to make believe you're not afraid. He said, if you, want, if you want to keep your cool, if you're in an emergency, he said, and everybody's going to lose their – if you're in a fire, everybody's going to get panicked. They're not going to be able to think. If you get panicked, you can't think. So make believe you're not scared. Pretend. And all of a sudden, rationality will take over. And after a while, you'll forget it. You'll, it'll come back at night, maybe in a nightmare, or it'll come back 10 years from now. But suppress it. And that's what I would do. I would suppress it. The minute, the minute I would, like when they came to me and told me the father judge died, I wanted to break down and cry. Right, right. That's right. what I would have done if it happened under normal circumstances. If he had died of a heart attack and they came and told me at home, I would have gone in a room and I would, wouldn't want to see me and I would have cried. Hmm. I said, I can't, actually, I would say, I can't think about it now. Wow. So right now, right now, so but but you were there, right? But you were there at the World Trade Center. My wife Danielle, who you know, she worked across the street from the Empire State Building, and I said, Danielle, get out. I figured that building was going to be next. I figured maybe the FBI building. Did you think all these, maybe even the the New York Stock Exchange, that morning you had to think, Rudy, there were a ton of targets. That's a very good question that most people don't think of, but that was a very big part of. uh, the first, let's say, one hour, hour and a half of, for burning in me and the PD, uh, we were sure we were going to be attacked. So I'd say in addition to getting the people out of the building, which really, really we left to the fire department, most of my attention was how do I protect the rest of the city? So we immediately closed down all the tunnels and bridges, particularly concerned about New Jersey because that's where the terrorists came from that did the first attack. And we were pretty sure these people came from New Jersey, although we, we figured out quickly that they were, you know, connected to Ben Laden and probably not in New Jersey because that isn't where he, that isn't where he hung out, if that's the right. right. <laughs> uh, and we knew where he did. I mean, I, I do have to tell you, with the FBI, which was a different FBI, we had a seamless relationship. Our Joint Terrorism Task Force, which I would love to say I put together, I did in part when I was U.S. attorney, but it was actually Mayor Koch who did that. Mm. Uh, our Joint Terrorism Task Force was probably our best task force with the FBI. Uh, they shared information constantly. They used us. Uh, I, when I was mayor, I'd get briefed once a week by the FBI on what was going on that might affect New York. Uh, a, a, year and a, a year before, I, I, at the request of the FBI, I closed down everything around the federal courthouse and everything around City Hall. That was based on their threats that, that those buildings were going to be bombed because of the terrorist trial right. that was taking right. place. You, uh, you know, you, Rudy, you talk about the FBI, and uh, you and President Bush uh, were, were simpatico back then. You guys worked great together. And when he stood on top of the wreckage and he said, I see you, we see you, his approval rating was about 98%. And I loved President Bush. Now, 21 years later, I can't stand him. He backstabbed Donald Trump, what he did with the Iraq war. I never thought I would say that 21 years later. But 43 was a guy I really loved, and now I don't. I have to imagine you guys work so closely together that you, too, are disappointed with President Bush. Well, you're right. You're right? right. You know, right? I have to divide it. I have to divide it in two. And I go back to something I said in my speech at the 19—I'm sorry, the 2004 
Republican convention where I gave the keynote speech in New York, I said, no matter what else, he'll be a great president for how he responded so quickly to this. Right. And I, I, I will give him that. And, and by the way, and Rudy, and the pitch that he threw, the first pitch against Arizona in the World oh Series. Oh, my God. I was there. I was there. I was there when Gita uh, uh, really suckered him into it. <laughs> yeah. He was going to throw from the, you know, front of the mound. And, and in fact, the guy had a vest on, so he had to throw from the front of the mound. Right. I think, you know, so Gita says he's not going to do that. They'll all think. I, th- I think he said they'll think you're a sissy. He kind of knew Gita because you know he owned the Texas Rangers. He knew all the young ball players. Uh, and he said to him, I got to throw from the mound. I said, Oh, no, listen, Andy, he's just a jerk. You know, he's jerking around with you. And I, I uh, warmed up with him. Yeah. Yeah. And boy, it took him about 10 minutes to figure out. I mean, he readjusted, he readjusted the, the, the vest and got it off the top of his shoulders. And damn, I didn't think he was going to throw a good pitch. But uh, he used the Yogi Berra, he used the Yogi Berra uh, trick that Yogi taught me. You throw it a little high. Throw it high. Uh, the height carries distance, and then it comes down and it looks right. like a strike. Right, which it did. He threw a perfect strike, but it, but, but, but unfortunately, that was it, Rudy. Because, like you're about to tell me, since then it has not been a good run for uh, George Bush. No, no, and and uh, the the, the work, uh, the things that happen when he's president, they happened, and they made right decisions, wrong decisions. Uh, the, the the hatred for Trump. Which okay, I understand some of it. He attacked Jeb, but look, I've been a, there are people that attack me in politics. That I wouldn't say they're my best friends, but they're good friends of mine now. You know, I ran against Huckabee. I debated him eleven times. I love him. I love Huckabee. Yeah. I, I ran against McCain, and I I turned around and I was his biggest surrogate. I mean, I you 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 what you do is you look at the person running. Let's say McCain, right? And then you look, you look at uh, Obama on the other side, and you say, "I got to think about my country, right?" Well, you look at you look at Trump, and you look at Hillary. Come on, you got to go with Trump. <laughs> of course, I'm going back to before we knew how good a president he was. Right. Also, as a president, he should be able to separate personality. And I I like Donald. I know him for 32 years, and he's a friend of mine. And his idiosyncrasies I find fun, you know. I can see how other people would find his idiosyncrasies bad. Of course. But then we, we got to separate us from. Of course. We were, safe. We yeah. were rich. Uh, African Americans and, and Latinos never did better. We were. I know we were respected because I traveled around the world, and I would have people in countries we think hate us come up to me and say, I wish he was our president. I wish we had a leader like that. He was respected all around the world. Yeah, and now we're not. And now we're not. So 60 seconds to go. I never thought I would say this. But after 9-11, I remember walking the streets with Danielle, uh, you know, hearing the whistle still from the firefighters, smelling the smoke. It was such a, a sad time. But it was also a time that I knew New Yorkers would come together. And there were joyous moments. I don't have those moments now. What have I said to you, Rudy? Right now, with Eric Adams and Kathy Hochul in charge, that the city is more downtrodden and depressing now than September twelfth of two thousand one. What would you say? You're one hundred percent correct. 
The city woke up on, on the morning of September 12th in a state of shock, but still with almost universal residual hope. Uh, I, I, I never confronted anybody who didn't think we could get out of it. Uh, some people were down more than others. Some people couldn't focus on it yet because they were in grief and mourning. Uh, I made the mistake of pushing them too fast. I mean, I, I, I got, I got uh, Broadway back in three days. I wanted the yep. stock exchange back in two days. It yep. took five. Uh, I wanted baseball back the day after. I, I, I very much believe that when you're in tragedy, particularly when you have things you have to do, you've got to pick your eyes up and look to the future. And I realized I realized I was pushing them too fast. And so I slowed it down and I said, I told them what I wanted them to do. I wanted them to move forward. I, I sent New York City police to pick up actors so they could go act on Broadway <laughs> so that I could get Broadway going. But I also said, do it at your own time. We're going we're gonna to go forward. I invite you to join us and join us as soon as you can. And, uh, and I did not find much resistance to that. <laughs> I, I never met any person that said to me, I, I don't think we can get out of this. I have never met even even people who just lost their son. They were there was still that feeling that both wasn't both New York, particularly New York, but we were at the height. You know, we had like a, like right now, seventy percent of the people want to leave the city. At that time, eighty percent of the people wanted to stay here. That's right. That's and right. Seventy percent of the people in America thought New York would be a good place to live. Yep. Even after that. Well, listen, we got to run, but let me speak on behalf of every New Yorker. And not just because you and I become really, really good friends. Thank you for what you did 21 years ago. Thank you for what you still do today on this radio station for Donald Trump and everything you do and your family. I love you dearly, Rudy Giuliani. Thank you for this good morning. And um, and you be well, okay, buddy? This was great. It is mutual. And, and what, what you do for America in getting out the word that's suppressed is uh, really part of history. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. You too. That's the great Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> Come on. On a day like today. What an unbelievable conversation. Rudy, we love you, baby. We'll be listening at 3 o'clock. Still to come, FDNY commissioner from 9-11. He just retired last year. The esteemed Daniel Nigro and Peter King, too, and Beat Sid. A huge 9 o'clock hour about to come your way. But first, Deb Valentine with the news. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Bernie and Sid in the morning on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
Just hoping we could be heroes. What a show it's been already today. Right, I mean, you think about all the guests already. Gary Myers talking 9-11 and football. Joseph Aboud talking 9-11. Governor Pataki talking 9-11. Rudy Giuliani moments ago. That was amazing stuff, talking 9-11. Rob Shooter talking about the death of Queen Elizabeth. Go back and listen to that. Amazing stuff. Prince Charles is now the king. That doofus is now the king of England. You can't make it up. And uh, Lydia was great, too. But my next guest, another 9-11 hero, a man that was forced into duty because somebody died that day and went on to do just like Giuliani and Carrick and Esposito and, uh, you know, Pataki, an amazing job. He was the 33rd commissioner of the fire department and is now a very, very good friend of mine. He is the esteemed Daniel Nigro. Commissioner Nigro, how are you, pal? I'm okay, Sid. Okay. This is a tough time of year for uh, everybody here in New York, but especially uh, the fire department of the city of New York. Yeah, I know you guys uh, lost 243 people that day. But but tell everybody Peter Gancy was in charge, and uh, he died that day. And the next thing you know, you go from a firefighter to literally running the whole show. Tell us how that whole thing went down. Well, yeah, there, and but it was 343 members of the department died that day, along with Chief of Department Gancy, who was a good friend, and he was – he and First Deputy Commissioner Fian, believe it or not, at 71 years of age, were uh, in the process of rescuing people from the South Tower collapse when the North Tower went down and killed them both. So I went from Chief of Operations, which was second in command, to Chief of Department um, that evening uh, under Fire Commissioner Tom Von Essen. What a, what, a, what a transition. What a way to become Chief of Department. Um, not something... Not something one hopes for. Yeah, I can tell you all emotional now. We just had Woody Giuliani on, Dan, and he said that he basically turned that day over to you, that he was kind of involved talking to the president, trying to figure out what was going to be attacked next, and he basically turned the World Trade Center issue over to you. Is that the way you remember it going down? Well, the fire department, you know, with our presence, we had – so many members there, and Pete Gancy was running the show for us. It was a fire department operation. Um, we had people in both towers, and our job, we knew the calls were coming in uh, fast and furious from people uh, who were above the impact areas in both towers. We were just trying to get them out. We couldn't put those fires out, um, and we just ran out of time, simply ran out of time, and then spent every day, every night until the end of May 2002 uh, at that site, uh, trying our best to recover uh, the remains of anyone who was lost. You know, I I started getting angry with the Evaldi coverage because some kid took a gun and went in, uh, Commissioner Nigro, and killed all these little kids. And that story turned from this horrible person into what a lousy job the police department did. And I started getting angry. I know they did a lousy job. They did. But not everybody is so courageous. They're about to walk up stairs of a building knowing the building is about to come down. But the Evaldi story does teach us just how amazing the men and women of this city, whether it was police, firefighters, first responders, they knew going in there was a very good chance they would never get out. And yet, 
Daniel, they ran up those stairs knowing the buildings were coming down. Well, not one member of the department um, hesitated or refused to do their job that day. And it, it does show you what kind of people um, come into the department and, and still come into the department. And to this day, um, perhaps not on the same level as the World Trade Center, but every day members of our department do the same thing, go into burning buildings, go into hazardous situations, uh, risk their own lives for the sake of others. Uh, it was on a uh, unbelievable scale 21 years ago, but it didn't surprise me that our members took that risk yeah. for the sake of those who were trapped. So when you're sitting down there and you're trying to strategize how to save people without killing your own people, was there a moment, Dan, when you said, you know what, if I send my folks in there, they're probably going to die. This doesn't look like we can put this thing out or we can really stop the buildings from crumbling. Was there ever a moment where you said to yourself, maybe it's time to stop, or was it no way not till every person is out of that building? Well, I, I think uh, there was a, a, a time when we started ordering people out. Um, it became uh, clear that the buildings were, uh, although early on, no one was considering a total collapse of the building. We thought there would be um, lapses at various levels of the building, but not the way they came down. Uh, certainly no one could have imagined that. But uh, it was too late. You know, we, we had people up uh, up as high as the impact area in the South Tower at the time it came down. Now, that's the 86th floor, is that right? Well, uh, uh yeah, in the North Tower it was. In the, right. in the South, a little lower. The United Airlines plane um, hit that tower a little lower. Right. And Membid has had reached the Sky Lobby, which I believe was on 78, and um, and simply ran out of time. They found many victims up there and um, were actually attempting to get above. Mm. And mm. that tower came down, and then subsequently yeah. the tower followed. You know, a fire is difficult enough. And right after you retired, by the way, there was a, a huge fire in the Bronx, and many people died. It got you back on the air. But when you combine the jet fuel from these airplanes, which hit the towers that day, I'm going to ask you a, a kind of a, a, a very uh, detailed inside baseball question. How much hotter is that fire because of the jet fuel? Well, the the added load, first of all, the structural damage that the planes did, they were traveling at a rate of speed that is, is uh, um, way above what what an aircraft like that is capable of flying at at that altitude. Uh, so they did tremendous structural damage, and you add that to the, uh, the amount of fuel that normally wouldn't be in the building, of course. These planes had just taken off, so they, and they were flying out to the West Coast. They were heavy with jet fuel and and that added those two things combined the structural damage and the uh, uh the terrible heat of the fire just just destroyed the uh the integrity of the buildings i remember standing on the west side highway i lived in uh, chelsea at the time and i walked to the west side highway and uh, i was there with thousands of people the next day you know and uh, the cops were coming by us and the firemen we were cheering you know let's go usa usa and um, still struck by the, the courage of, uh, of your people, Dan, and, and the cops, too. And I remember thinking, they're going to find some people 
And then later on that night, it became pretty evident they weren't going to find any people. That they either just literally disintegrated or just you couldn't get to them. Were you surprised in the end that there were so little uh, bodies, people recovered at that area? Yeah, you know, um, even while it, while it was going on, you know, we thought we'd have so many injured people, and uh, we did have some, but it, uh, it seemed people either su- either survived it or uh, unscathed or were killed. And then we had hoped that we'd find people on the multiple layers below the towers. Perhaps people uh, took refuge uh, down there, and and, and no. You know, we found uh, after the first day, no one was taken out alive. And um, initially, that was surprising. Mm. The point, yeah. As we examined uh, what was left of those buildings, um, it just um, was no chance for people people to come out. It was a miracle that we had some folks survived in a stairway uh, in the North Tower. I, when I heard People saying they were in that stair, I thought they were uh, confused and were actually in a different building because there was nothing left, and yet, uh, and yet they did survive. Wow, and that was uh, a miracle. What floor was that? Do you remember? Well, they were coming down a stair, and uh, they had they had stopped. Our members had stopped because there was a woman in distress, and they wanted to make sure they got her out safely. And uh, uh, as they were almost out of the building, perhaps at uh, five floors from the from the lobby, the tower came down, and they were trapped inside. And it took us uh, it took us a few hours to get them out, but we did, and and it was a miracle that they did survive. And uh, the captain of Ladder Six, Jay Jonas, just retired. He stayed on the department uh, for 20 years, became a deputy chief, and um, uh, he's. Uh, He's, he's quite a guy. Wow. So uh, on the way out, we know all the urban legends between the cops and the firefighters. They hate each other, and they play football, and they really want to kill each other, blah, blah, blah. And then we wanted the impression that 9-11 was, uh, it changed. It changed. After that, cops and firefighters, they respected each other. They loved each other. They worked together so well in saving lives and restoring a semblance of normalcy in this city. Is that true? Did 9-11 kind of change at least a little the relationship between cops and fire? You know, it might have. I think uh, I think we always had a fairly good relationship. There were a few times when, uh, you know, things would go astray. And certainly on the football field, we looked as if we're going <laughs> to... The hockey rink, we, uh, right. uh, we play pretty rough both sides. But uh, um, it's been getting better and better. The relations today between the police department and fire department have never been better. Um, and I think it's a it's a lot. The leadership over the years of both departments um, have worked hard to make that a reality. And everyone realized on 9-11 that we were all trying to do the same thing. The Port Authority Police, the New York City Police, the Fire Department uh, were all just concerned with those people trapped in the building and did the best we could to get them out. And, and unfortunately, uh, between between the three departments, we we lost uh, you know four hundred uh, four hundred souls. Yeah, yeah. A, lot of, a lot of guys and girls died from my area out uh, in Rockaway. So on the way out, Daniel Nigro, and you know I love you. You're a great guy and become a very good friend. Uh, is it fair to say that that day was both Dan in your life the worst day and your most proud day? 
Yeah, it was certainly the worst day. And, and you know, this time of year, uh, I get very uh, emotional about a day like today with clear skies and, and nice weather. Just uh, it just takes me back to it. But, you know, of course, thinking of it, it was uh, it was a day that you could be proud of the people of the department and their dedication to the people of the city. And uh, we cannot we cannot forget that. But um, I, I try to remember all of all the folks that were lost and how much they meant to me and uh, and their families. And um, Sunday will be once again a very solemn day. Well, thank you for doing this today. I know it's tough on you, and Sunday will be even tougher. So thank you for doing this. I, I appreciate our friendship. I appreciate the hero that you are and have been to this city for many, many, many years. God bless you. Talk again very soon. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Sid. All right, my friend. There he is, Daniel Nigro, former FDNY commissioner. We'll talk to Peter King next on this, the 9-11th Remembrance Day, brought to you by my good friend Frank Seller and the great folks at Tunnel to Towers. Hey, Bill O'Reilly here, and you are listening to Bernie and Sid. God help you. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. So me and the great Congressman Peter King, we got these mutual friends, the Haskell family. And they lost a bunch of our relatives in 9-11. And every year, September 10th, they show up with the Sal Moglin at that wall in Brooklyn where the Cyclones play. So um, Haskell just sent me this. He goes, dude, the rest of the news is talking about the Queen. You're the only guy talking about the 9-11 anniversary. That's why we love you, Sid. Thank you. And I can say from experience, when you work in any busy Brooklyn North precinct, we've got a very close relationship with and rely on the FDNY. So the Haskells are appreciating today. We did do some Queen stuff. Rob Shooter was great. In fact, Peter King, set to join me here, he sent me a picture, one of him with Charles, now the King, and one of him with me. And he said, oh, my God, how my life has changed. One day talking to the king, the next day, Sid. <laughs> With that said, wise ass, here he is, the great congressman, my dear friend, Peter King. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, Sid. How you doing? No, you're right, though. I go from the height of royalty to <laughs> Sid from Brooklyn. I mean, Wait you know. Wait a second. This is radio royalty, though, uh, Peter. You know that. <laughs> you're right. I, I, you're right. I, you're right. You no, no, no. Queen, so. Now, what was that picture from you and uh, Prince Charles? Actually, it was reception at the British Embassy. And just coincidentally, it happened right after bin Laden had been killed. It was about 10 days after the wedding between Prince William and Kate Middleton, and so he was obviously talking about bin Laden and the close relationship with the U.S. and Britain, and then Rosemary started talking about the wedding, and I just saw I got left off to the side uh, talking about, uh, yeah, I don't know anything about uh, weddings or anything. Right. And uh, he was great. He was a really great guy. But Really? Yeah. So your beautiful wife, Rosemary, had a real conversation, but now the king of England, a real one. Yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. And I was just, I was like an afterthought. I was standing there and then talking about the wedding, you know. <laughs> did you have a chance to I meet Queen you know Elizabeth? I my own wedding. Never mind right, exactly. Else. What about over the years? Did you ever meet uh, Queen Elizabeth over the years? Yeah, I did. I met her actually uh, a reception at the British Embassy also. And again, I was surprised by that because, uh, when she arrived. I was there mainly because I'd been involved in the Irish peace process with Tony Blair. So I didn't know how the Queen was going to react to me anyway, you know. I mean, uh, because I was considered pro-Irish, anti-British, and everything else. Right, right. And uh, and also beforehand, they gave us all these rules and regulations. You can't reach out to the Queen. You can't touch her. You can't do this, which is, you know, fine. And, well, and all of a sudden, she comes down, and I thought it was going to be just a, a quick nod. Hey, how are you? Good, very good, Your Majesty. And she stops. She's shaking hands. She's talking. I say it was a good wow. two or three minutes she was talking. Wow. And uh, Now, Prince Philip, in all fairness, he stood like two feet behind with his hands behind his back. Sort of saying, "Come on, let's get out of here." You know, he didn't seem too enthused about it at all. You know? yeah. So, were you sad yesterday when she passed away? Legitimately? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, I don't want to overdo it. No, I was. I mean, she was a world leader. It's seventy years. That's like thirty percent of the time that the U.S. has been a a, a country. Uh, and uh, the fact that she was always able to conduct herself with dignity, and also, as I said, I was involved in the Irish peace process. She had, I even had members of her family who had been killed by the IRA. Afterwards, after the peace agreement was signed, she met with the leaders of the people who were reputed to be involved in the uh, you know, shootings in Britain and everything else. And she met with them. She was the first British queen monarch to uh, go to uh, Ireland since independence back in 1922 and basically said that the British had done many wrong things in Ireland. We uh, did things we shouldn't have done, and we didn't do things we should have done. So that, that meant uh, to me it showed that she was able to rise above it and uh, – just be a, a, a really solid leader, yeah. which all of our, unfortunately many leaders today don't have. And uh, but you know, getting back to to the Haskells, you talk about the Haskell family. I mean, this year we are talking about the Queen and the King. But to me, this weekend is always nine eleven. I'll be down there on Sunday at nine eleven. It's certainly, a, I think, a turning point all, all our lives. And you mentioned the Haskells. I mean, they lost two sons. Uh, that was Ken Haskell. His his two brothers were both killed that day, mm. and his Haskells, his nephew, was a cop. Ken Haskell was both a uh, FDNY and NYPD. So, I mean, it's a, that's a really a committed family, and uh, they really personify what 9-11 is all about. I agree. They're beautiful people. I love those people. And, you know, two months after 9-11, that plane crashed in Rockaway, right in my neighborhood, five blocks away. And the irony is, I've told this story a million times, we were on the Intrepid, and Imus was on the phone with Tom Ridge, who became the very first ever head of Homeland Security. And you, Peter, right. not only served Congress proudly on Long Island for 100 years, but you eventually joined that group as well, keeping the whole country safe. So that whole period, 9-11, that really changed your life both personally and politically, too. No, it really did. I mean, that basically became the focus of my last almost uh, 20 years in Congress. I mean, it was there for 28 years. And the last 18 of them, were, uh, my main focus was Homeland Security. I did become chairman of the Homeland Security Committee, and I led the hearings into uh, 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 Islamic radicalization, for which I was attacked by so many people. And so many of these phonies who claim to, you know, stand with the, you know, the men and women of 9-11, they were the ones attacking me the most when I was, you know, calling me a bigot and a racist, you know, for doing the hearings into, uh, uh, you know, Islamic radicalization in, in, uh, in this country. Uh, then, uh, so I focused on that, you know, the radicalization element, and then, you know, the 9-11 health care yeah. and the 9-11 compensation. And it's a really, a, when you think that so many, probably more people have died, certainly among firemen, 
and cops from uh, 9-11 illnesses that actually died on that day itself. So this is a tragedy that continues with us today. And uh, I yeah. find it, again, I, I find inspiration from the cops, the firefighters, Port Authority, police, the construction workers, all, those, all the emergency workers who were down there. And I do from some of the politicians who try to wrap themselves in 9-11 but actually do very little about it. You know, uh, you're a hero for what you did, you and John Stewart, for uh, keeping that money out there for these people. But when you think about the enemies that day, you know, Mohammed Atta, Osama bin Laden, and, and who went out to become an enemy? But what you said, Christine Todd Whitman, she was the governor of New Jersey. She yelled and screamed, it's safe to be down there. Like you talked about, people are still dying 21 years later. She really became a, a, a villain in all of this, the governor of New Jersey. Yeah, I mean, they still have an account of why that serious mistake was made of sending people back down there. And, uh, again, without maybe they just want to get the country going again. I, I don't know. They would maybe realize how, how deadly all those toxins were because we never had something like it before. But to me, it's important. I mean, anyone today who was listening, who was down there before, I mean, during and after 9-11, please make sure you get checkups. We have a whole healthcare system set up because there are, illnesses that are unique to 9-11, and you need special doctors to be able to track them and find them early and then track them and monitor them. And I don't know how many people I've run into who doctors have found something at a very early level, but it could have been fatal, and it's, again, directly related to 9-11. Also, I I should say, and I'm saying this in a way of bragging about my uh, daughter, Erin, she actually was working for an airline at the time. Uh, uh, She was a lawyer, and on her own, she started uh, tracking... uh, the records of the uh, 9-11 hijackers. And she came up with, without going into detail, some very significant information, and she was honored by the FBI for doing it. Wow. Erin, way to go, Erin King. So uh, yeah, She spent weeks uh, until she, did, she became uh, totally obsessed with this. Wow. Just uh, tracked down some leads, which they hadn't found. And, and is, she, is she the one who lives in North Carolina now, your daughter? Yeah, yeah, she's down there now. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, well, good job by her. Congratulations on that. Well, take me back to that, that day, about two minutes ago, Peter. Uh, we got to go yeah. back with all you guys, you, Rudy, Pataki, Daniel Nigro. Take me back to that beautiful Tuesday morning and what you were doing when that first plane hit. Yeah, I'll make it quick. Um, uh, Rosemary was supposed to drive. I was in Washington. She was supposed to fly down the night before because the White House was having a, a barbecue on Tuesday night. She was supposed to fly down Monday night. Because of the storm, she couldn't. She flew, was flying out on uh, Tuesday morning. As I'm driving toward the Capitol, it comes over the radio about the crash. Uh, it was, uh, I guess it was 8.47. Yes. And uh, that she was on a, a 9 o'clock flight. So immediately we call uh, Delta, uh, U.S. Airtree, which one it was, uh, to find out uh, uh, where her flight was. They said oh, they it's all so, so you're telling me Rosemary was actually in the air that morning? Well, we didn't know she was on a flight that was supposed to be in the air, okay, leaving gotcha. LaGuardia. Right, right, right. So we're trying to track it down. And then uh, but I still didn't realize how, how uh, major this was. So I'm actually walking into my office, and I see a plane. You know, there's, there's a TV screen there, and I see a plane crashing into the World Trade Center. I said, wow, that's a large plane. They must have it on video. I didn't realize that was the second plane was hitting. Okay. Then yeah. everything hit after that. Uh, the Pentagon was attacked. Uh, couldn't track my wife down for a good half hour, 45 minutes. She was on the plane. She didn't know what had happened. They kept them on the runway. And then my son was working at the Commerce Department. There was a, a rumor that the Commerce Department had been bombed. It wasn't, but all the phones were down. They couldn't get hold of my son. My son-in-law worked three blocks north of the uh, World Trade Center. He had to evacuate, he had to, uh, uh, run down 28 flights of stairs, left his cell phone behind, so we couldn't find him. So for hours, we didn't know where 
Mm. Family members were. Mm. We found them. I thought everything was fine. And you realize there's, you know, 3,000 other people who have died. Uh. That Friday, I went to uh, Round Zero with President Bush. That's what I was talking to Rudy that day, Bernie Eric that day. And then the following day, I guess Saturday, I went to a few, the first funeral with Rudy, the chief of the, of the fire department, Pete Gancy. And then after that, it's just a cascading of the funerals and wakes and memorial services, which really continued into the following April and May. Cause I know. Finding body parts. I know. They were still that finding really them. Yeah. Yeah. So 30 seconds to go. My daughter's uh, 18. She's, uh, she's uh, going off to college. Uh, you know Ava. Right. And Gabriel's 13. They were not born. Ava was born in 2004. Gabe, 2007. If Peter King sat down again, you've done this before with them at dinner, with Ava and Gabe and, and had to explain to them in 60 seconds what that day was like and how New Yorkers specifically came together, how would you say it? It was the most sorrowful, dreadful, uh, dangerous day in the history of New York and the United States. But by the end of the day and by the next morning, it was the most heroic. It was United, It was New York leading the world and fighting terrorism. Uh, all those cops, firefighters, people who ran into the buildings, that showed so much courage and so much determination. That was the spirit of New York, the spirit of America. And that has continued to this day. And that, to me, was our worst hour and our finest hour. That is so well said. Uh, quickly, last 10 seconds. Are you down on George Bush, 43? No, I, I, I consider him a good friend. And I, okay. we, we, we have a long discussion on that. No, I, I was with him hours and weeks and months after 9-11 uh, working on all of that. And he was a – and I know also what he's personally done, the 9-11 families that he didn't want to disclose at all. He would talk to them, meet with them, uh, console them a few years afterwards. Peter King, I love you. I tell you it every time, but I mean it. Great seeing you and your beautiful wife and Melissa on uh, Wednesday night. And I look forward to getting you back here in studio next week. This was an amazing appearance. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sid. Thank you. You're the best. Peter King, folks, this guy, you know, let me tell you what he did for 9-11 people. Those people are getting money for a long time, 90 years, because of Peter King. Now it's time to beat Bernie. It's time to beat Bernie. Sponsored by Fearless Boilers and Pavilion Tankless Water Heaters. You think you can beat Bernie? Good luck. It's time to beat Bernie. It is indeed that time. Your Friday morning edition of the Peerless Boilers Beat Bernie Contest, another special Beat Sid edition of the game. I am your host, Justin Ellick, executive producer of the program. How you doing? Glenn is in Howard Beach. He's a retired, corre- what, corrections officer? Is that what that's supposed to say? My screen is tiny. Yeah, did you say, did you say fired or hired? What do you mean? Oh, no, retired. Yes. Retired, yeah, retired. retired. No, 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 you're not. I, I would never assume these things, Glenn. Come on now. Yeah. And remember, yeah. one thing, yeah. Justin, i got to tell you. Sure. It's called TDs, not whatever you said, the does. I said tutties. When you were, yeah, tutties. Yeah. yeah that, 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 why, you don't like that? That's like uh, millennial slang for touchdowns. You don't like yeah, it? Yeah, I never heard of it before. Tell that to Sid. See if he rips you a new one. Okay, I'll let him know. Maybe he will. I mean, he, oh, usually, yeah, just yes, rip, he usually just rips me a new one no matter what. So, uh, you yeah, know. Well, that's true. Okay. You think you're ready for the game today, Glenn? No, not at all. But yeah. uh, I yeah. lost to him. Uh, I tied him. I lost, and I lost to Bernie once before. Well, uh, rest assured, he's not ready either. So um, you guys are playing on uh, level ground here, okay? Yes, sir. Okay, here we go. Number one, what is the NBA record for most points in a single game, and who accomplished it? Will Chamberlain, 100. Very good. I prom- didn't know that. Yeah, I promise they get harder. Here we go. Number two, oh, one, one for one. What month is nationally recognized as Pride Month for the LGBTQ plus community? Oh, 
Oh gosh. Yeah, yeah. Well yeah, well I'm sorry, I'm I'm heterosexual. June. Very good. Hey. Are you sure you're heterosexual? Yes. How'd you how'd you know the month? Uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm just joshing. I'm just, I'm just yanking your chain. It's a, nothing wrong with it. That's nothing okay. wrong with it. Nothing wrong with it at all. Don't say yanking your chain if you just. Yeah, say <laughs> that's that true. That's very funny. That's very funny. That's okay. next month. Actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yanking your chain month. Okay. No, two, two for two, Glenn. You're you're hot. You're hot. Here we go. Number three. Fill in the blank. Prior to moving to Foxborough and rebranding in 1971, the New England Patriots were known as the Blank Patriots. Boston. Very good. Still know that too. Yep, Glenn, you're on top of it today. Three for three. Number four. Name one of the four former New York governors to eventually become president of the United States. Teddy Roosevelt. Oh no. Oh, okay. Ah, damn. Man. Four for four. He might go perfect. Here we go, Glenn. Number five. I got it. In an effort to go perfect, what male tennis player whose documentary on Showtime just came out won their first of... John McEnroe. Oh, Oh my God. Yeah, Phil Phil gave it away with a hint. Oh, this documentary well, just came I, out on Showtime. You know what he gave it away when he said jerk my chain? Well, yeah. no, you <laughs> yank, it was yank. I didn't say jerk. That makes it a lot more explicit. Oh, yank, jerk. Right? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Glenn, you're going to hang out on hold. It was good uh, good uh, having you play the game. And uh, you've got a chance Thank to talk to the... Thank you very much. Yeah, you got, it. you got it. Yeah, you'll talk to the big guy here in a couple minutes if he ever gets his butt back in the what studio. Yank it. Yank him in. Yeah, I got to... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> All right, you have to... Uh, You have to go uh, five for five just to tie. Oh, my God. Okay. Wow. Okay. Let's go. You ready? Yep. Number one, what is the NBA record for most points in a single game, and who accomplished it? Will Chamberlain. How many points? 100 Mm. against the Knicks. Hello, Hein. One for one. Number two, what month is nationally recognized as Pride Month for the LGBTQ plus community? Very gay. Very gay. Yeah. Yeah. It's either June or July. I forget. July. Nope. Wrong, you two-legged bag of anthrax. Clearly, I'm not gay. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, mean I don't know. He's my wife, Danielle. I mean, I mean, Glenn got the answer right. Then we flirted for about five minutes. Right, they're both gay. Yeah. Okay. Here we go, number three. Uh, you already, you've already lost the game. So this is just, I guess, for uh, morale. Uh, number three, fill in the blank. Prior to moving to Foxborough and rebranding in 1971, the New England Patriots were known as the blank Patriots. Boston. Uh, <laughs> where'd they play? I got the uh, the gay guys wrong. Yeah. Toilette Stadium. Oh. I have no idea. I don't care. Did Hurry up. I got to play Mark Levin one more time. Oh, my God. Here we go. Number four. <laughs> <laughs> got to get back to me. I got to no. yank, yank my own chain some more. Yeah, please. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> number four. Name one of the four former New York governors to eventually become president of the United States. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, is that true? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Name one of the four mm-hmm. former governors. Yeah. To become president of the United States. Yeah. Well, you got the question right. That's yeah, shut up. I find. Uh, yeah. Well said. Uh, yeah, right. Interesting. Uh, I'm going to go with um, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Wilson. 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 Okay. Okay. Who is that? The soccer ball. Yeah. I'm going to go with. Uh, what was the answer? I'm going to go with Mookie Betts. What? Yeah. yeah. What was the answer? <laughs> you had John Taylor, Grover Cleveland, Theodore Roosevelt, or Franklin Roosevelt. And this guy knew that? Yeah. He got. He, he said Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. Geek. Go ahead. Yeah. All right. Number five. You're getting walloped. What male oh, tennis player whose documentary on Showtime just came out won their first of seven Grand Slam titles on this day in 1979? I don't know, and I don't care. Oh, what are you talking about? What year was this? You do know. 1979? You know his brother very well. John McEnroe. Yeah. Yay! Oh, 
Well, I also know Tommy Bork, just so you know. Okay. Yeah, doesn't well. exist. Uh, thank you, Justin. Glenn, yeah. how are you, bud? Hey, listen, what do you mean this guy is gay and all this stuff? We've talked so many times before. I know you like a book, Bell Harbor, the Harbor Lights. You played a good game. First time I beat you. We tied once before. You beat me the last time. Wait and then a I second. Won this Didn't you used to live in Middle Village? Yes, sir. Oh, uh, you're Remember? Glenn. Now you moved to Howard Beach. I know you are. You're a good yeah, guy. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, right. I'm your neighbor now. Yes. Yeah, you are gay, by the way, aren't you? I'm kidding. No, 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 you, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I'm married. I'm kidding. Unfortunately, I'm married. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm married. <laughs> but listen, uh, yeah. I don't want. I don't want the prize. I, what I'd like to do is, if I could talk to Justin or whoever, yeah. I want to donate to a charity in uh, for Bernie. I don't. I don't yeah. need it. Okay. Well, let me put you on hold. There's no charity right now for Bernie. Thank God he's he's alive. No, and... not, I don't mean that. Like for well, cancer, with cancer or... you can do that. Yeah. So, hey, uh, Phil. Put Doug Glenn on hold. Take his call. It was very sweet. I love you guys. Uh, we and, uh, love you, too. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you. Family. Thank you. God bless you. Take his call. Uh, 1-800-848-WABC. That's very nice, Glenn. 1-800-848-9222. We'll come back and close shop. Been an amazing show. All the guests were great. You guys were great. We wrap up the week right after this. Sponsored by Fearless Boilers and Pavilion Tankless Water Heaters on 77 WABC. Bernard McGurk. Unacceptable is throwing your beer can on the subway tracks. <laughs> Sid Rosenberg. I don't believe it's a three-man race. Bernie and Sid in the morning. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. Enjoyed our tribute today to uh, 9-11. Our guests today were outstanding. Everybody from Gary Myers to Joseph Abood to Governor George Pataki, especially Mayor Rudy Giuliani, especially Congressman Peter King, and especially former FDNY Commissioner Daniel Nigro. Also a terrific job, I must say, by uh, Rob Shooter. On the death of Queen Elizabeth, he's everywhere today. Good morning, America, the Today Show, blah, blah, blah. And Lydia did great, too. And all you guys did well. Lewis, we were together that day 21 years ago. You were uh, behind the glass with Mark Chernoff. Bernie was on the streets. It was a mayoral primary that day. It was a crazy, long, scary day. And week. You know, they took me off the air that week because there was no more sports. So me and Jody, they sent us home. It was all Amos yeah, we and Mike on, and the Mad Dog. Yeah, we were on the air till 2.33. Yeah. No, the whole week, though, even oh, after that yeah. day. Yeah, and no commercials, too. Yeah, that's right. First couple of days. Yeah, Don did a great job that day. He yeah. really did. He really did. God Charles, was, his son. Charles was Charles great. Charles was great, yeah. too. You were all great. You were great, too. So 21 years later, Lou, here we are doing it again and even getting better ratings than Amos. 
believe it or not. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Is that nuts? The whole, the whole thing is crazy. I know. Yep, it, it is, is. crazy. We're, we're still here. We're still here, and uh, New York is still here. So despite the best efforts of de Blasio and Adams and Hochul and all these animals, we uh, we survive. And uh, hopefully we'll thrive, not just survive. So vote Republican, vote for Lee Zeldin come November, and vote for Donald Trump in 2024. Enjoy the rest of your day. Louis Tremendous, Macedonia Phil, Justin Ellick, Deb Valentine, Frankie Diaz with an E, and, of course, Jacqueline Call. We love you, New York. Thank you to all the police, fire, first responders, Port Authority folks, and all the brave souls that continue to protect us 21 years after so many, so many, the ultimate sacrifice died that day. We love you all, everybody. Back again, God willing, Monday at 6. Until then, from all of us to all of you, God bless New York. God bless America. We'll talk to you then. Peace. If you've had an accident, trust Gabo Law, personal injury and medical malpractice attorneys with decades of experience who will provide the attention you deserve and deliver the best possible results in the shortest amount of time. Gabo Law has recovered millions for their clients and will be able to help you. But don't take our word for it. Read all of their five-star reviews from former clients on Google, Avvo, and Facebook. Call Gabo Law today at 800-560-0214 for a free consultation or email at Info at GobbleLaw.com. Gobble Law, where winning is no accident.